Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Board. Okay. I can't believe it's you, Jason Augustus Newcomb, in the house. I am excited to be here. I want to thank you for your patience and uh, and getting me on. This has been a, a a long process, much longer than usual. So, I'm I'm nothing if not patient. <laughs> this has been a this has been a crazy year already. Yeah, we thought it's been about a year, year since you were first on the podcast. Now, I know I did yours, but yeah, since uh, last time I was in California when we talked, and uh, that was our first crossing of paths. It's been a good year. Well, it's been a fucking weird year. How long have you been back in Canada? Since uh, September equinox. Oh, okay. So you've been back a while. Yeah, now, well, sort of. Yeah, the time blurs together, but definitely. I mean, that's Wait. the thing. Like, I, I, I think we probably, you were probably already back in Canada when, when we talked on, on my little thing. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it all just kind of blurs together for me, you know, because <laughs> I'm not in your shoes. <laughs> yeah, the time is both crawling and flying by at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's still strange up here, but yeah, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about grimoires and magic and and practicing. So we've been diving into, um, though I haven't done your grimoire course yet, and people can actually, I'm going to do that now with my people and and people can join on if they still want. Um, But what we did do with my group is dove into the Heptarchia Mystica as a grimoire, of course and have begun exploring that and it's a fascinating journey to really take that first step into the puritanical enochian system uh, you know as is the it's very different from the gd that i'm used to Uh, absolutely yeah and the the golden dawn didn't never really address the hipparchy at all i don't even i don't think crowley mentions it in the equinox either i think i mean it's I think I think I read that someone had evidence that they were aware of it. I think uh, maybe uh, Fuller mentioned something about them being aware of it due to some references and some diaries he has. But um, yeah, they definitely didn't do anything with it, really. Yeah, yeah they were they, working off of, uh, off of the red materials, right? They were working off of the book that H. sort of secondary book H and book H. Yeah, yeah, which, which was which no one knows. On. No one knows, knows who compiled it though. Book eight right. is sort of a mystery, and it replaces you know names from the Great Cross with the Tablet of Union, which is like the Tablet of Union. I think is sort of the Golden Dawn version of of the the Ring and Laman. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, the Tablet of Union. I mean, it, it's it sits there in in the you know the Great Table. But it's not really mentioned, and yeah, there doesn't seem to be any sign that it that it that it is anything other than just sort of there, and uh, it's sort of invented by the uh, Liber H, I think. So yeah, um, yeah, book H. So yeah, but of course the the names on the tablets are are used a lot in the GD system, right? Yeah, yeah, we draw from the Macross and down as well. Um, but yeah, no. So exploring, um, transitioning into looking at the Purist system, it's very I've been it's been an education and we've been working with the heptarchial kings so one of the things that that is fascinating about that is that not only that it's a system of planetary magic 
but that one of the spirits is actually two, well, two of the spirits each actually take the role of three or actually are two of them. Right. And they, they rule over, right. Karmara and Hagenol uh, rule or as king and king, king of kings and prince of princes and can direct any of the ones on any day at any hour, despite their planetary associations. Right. And, and, you know, I think one of the, one of the reasons why I probably didn't end up getting used by those sort of in between people up until the 20th century is that it, it is, it is a bit murky as to exactly what all of that means. You know, it's, it's not, it's not laid out as clearly as some other stuff. And honestly, none of these stuff is really laid out all that clearly. It's really, it's really the, you know, you're, you're kind of diving in and, and, you know, either following the golden dawn way of looking at it, or, or you're just sort of wading into the, into the deep waters, you know, I mean, I mean, frankly, the, the golden dawn stuff really makes everything within the watchtower system make a little bit more sense because at least there's a sort of a reason why you would choose one of the, you know, iterations of a name or the other because of the, you know, the, the elemental aspect of it. But with, with the, the way that if you look at it from a pure perspective, there's really no way of discerning why you would conjure really any angel other, other than just the quadrants themselves. And even then, why would you, why would you use one direction over another? Because your patient is in that direction or, you know, like what, what, what would be the reasoning if there's no, if you're just going with directionally and not elementally, it just suddenly the, the system doesn't, there doesn't seem to be really a reason for there to be so much of it there. It seems like you could, like you could pare it down to like eight entities and then you'd be done or maybe 16. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel when I, once I've moved through the heptarchy and onto the, the watchtowers and the, the traditionalist approach there, I'm not sure how that's going to suit me. And if it doesn't really suit me, I won't necessarily invest too much time in, in it and just stick with the elemental distribution in the GD system. Um, but I definitely want to check it out <clears throat> and, and see how, what that magic is like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm loathe to change, change, swap two watchtowers directions. Like a more dialectic will always be uh, my earth, but it's, it's just, it's just so hard, but uh, I'm willing to, to go there when I get there right now, I'm just really loving the heptarchial stuff. And I did Bonorum angel work um, back in the inner order, um, you know, 20 years ago, but it was stuff that it was really fabulously mixed together with, um, uh, regular uh, ritual work connected with the, the city of Jerusalem and the 14 stations of the cross aimed at creating talismans that we then even like flew adepts to Jerusalem to place those talismans around Jerusalem in the early 2000s you know so this wow. was the kind of yearly annual working our inner order would do is we'd create these rituals using a mixture of say the vault or or it's this system of magic or the Enochian with like the 14 stations. And then you know, one year we did working and, you know, every adept around the world would do the working. Then we'd get, you know, at day C, we'd get together and all do the major consecrations of the talismans based on our all repetitive working of that. And then, yes, yeah, and people that didn't, you know, uh, who would be, well, they'd be identified by the third order and chosen by them to send and send them to, um, I, you know, three years I, I was there. So um, Jerusalem, Calcutta and uh, Strasbourg. Yeah. And I got to go to the Strasbourg one, but I wasn't chosen for the other ones. Yeah. 
I mean, that sounds really fascinating and interesting work. If you're um, going to be in a magical group, you should do cool stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I, that's that was always my fantasy. But the magical groups I was involved in didn't go on, you know, tours. So <laughs> at least not at, not not for magical purposes. Um, so. Well, you're doing uh, other fabulous things. So, you know, yeah, we're all called to different stuff, eh? Sure. No, yeah. No, no. I think what you um, do, what you create for the magical world, for the world is just as fabulous as any of that. Well, I don't I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you're too, you're so, too busy doing I, it to I'm, pay attention. I'm, I'm curious uh, what, what, when you say that you're working with it from a traditionalist perspective, in order to be working with it, there's a few little, little sort of, you know, gaps and, and holes that need to be filled in what, what what's the material that you're using as your guidebook through that as a grimoire uh. well um you it's you pretty quickly after like there's not that actually that much practical literature out there right there's you and stenwick and and leach and and james and uh you know obviously skinner for the things he does um and yehida has a cool book um but yeah, you that. yeah, it's great. Oh, it's awesome because he's a he's sort of a GD guy, but also from the that I think it's Benjamin Rowe, who was an independent sort of Enochian magician who came from right. some interesting yeah. stuff. So he's from I, I don't know if he was trained with that group in Dublin or he's from that school, but he yeah he like in his book he's got a whole section on on just scrying or pathworking each of the Enochian letters using even i think one of the calls and some other some other hardcore stuff but then he got he puts his whole diary entries describing the visions he even saw on those things and they're some interesting stuff and he does comparative things of how to open an okian working with the as he would see the regardi method versus the d pierce method and then he walks you through his entire book of invocations for the 19 day uh initiation in the d pierce style that he wrote then a bunch of other stuff so so what so are, you're you're looking at all of those sources then and kind of putting oh, together yeah, your yeah I've read I've, yeah, definitely read them all and uh, what what I've what I've outlined for us to in, sort of gently get people into this like you know one thing like you, the Enochian masterclass was really great for introducing Aaron Leach and Stenwick's perspective and then very well balanced with your own of course because you and I are quite similar in in our approaches as we fuse things it seems to me um whereas Leach and Stenwick are a bit more polar polarized in their views but as a result my approach isn't to try and like find the right way to do things my approach is to try them all mm. and that's what I have my people doing like right now we just did a th operation with with Stenwick sigil but Stenwick did the Enochian left to right and I was like, what do you, why'd you do that? And he said, well, because it works. And I think that's fine. And I'm like, cool. Now we're going to try it ourselves, though. Now that we've tried it like that, we're going to reverse the letters and try it that way. And then put do a full painted one. The first operation we were trying to get, we're, we're sussing out the colors. Do you have any sense of what the colors you would paint? Because they would all make sense what colors you'd use for the planetary ones associated with days. But for a sigil that's just Karmara and Hagenol, govern all of the days would you use the colors associated with them in their planetary attributions in either of the four stations or would you no. have something higher right i i mean i i tend to go honestly to monochrome with those sorts of things that, that yeah. tends to, me, to be my my instinct you can't really go wrong with white and black yeah yeah anyway 
so we all we all did an operation to and and it's shocking what what common answers we got so far you know you so, mean you're all you're all working remotely from one another and you're all yeah we, we did we're doing some cyber magic stuff as uh to fuel our our personal work and exploring the same things and uh that's what we do in our magical working group and cool uh, yeah it's been really exciting and we're you know just trucking along um, we're also going to take some time this month to explore tatwas i got a cool guest teacher from uh yeshi's order i'm gonna pop in and give us uh, some new methods he's developed over the years and uh for for, for doing for tatwas, tatwas, vision, yeah. we're just discussing because i mean tatwas is a complicated subject it's you know it is. obviously it's, it's related to the golden dawn in a fairly intimate way largely i think because of the you know the modern writings i don't even know how much it would have been really a part of what they were doing back at that time was, they were it was a huge part of the original golden dawn yates used them so much he carried them around in his pocket and would just try them like use put people he knew through different workings right but i mean that's that's yates <laughs> yes that's yates um yeah how how often were they all doing tatua work who knows you know like i mean i mean i, I it, it, it was a it was a significant thing it was something that was going on it was being discussed in theosophy and that's probably how it you know sort of filtered into golden dawn but it seemed like there was a lot of you know just like with any kind of magical group today there were a lot of like strong personalities that had their own kind of like agenda and it seemed like the it seems like the um the eastern stuff all comes in through a couple of people i can't remember their names but but they seem like they're sort of strongly connected with theosophy so like i mean was was that central to the order or was that just something that some strong personalities were 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 putting forward and it sort of you know um got got pushed through into the into the modern era because of that i mean it seems like it's it's out of step with other other than the fact that it's, it's elemental and and the idea of the the sub elemental tatwas was i i've never i've never even i mean i'm, I'm not like a a huge scholar of of tantra and yoga but i've read quite a bit and and i've never <laughs> encountered them talking about sub tatwas anywhere it's just the tatwas so i mean that that seems to be very sort of um theosophical or golden dawnish but the yeah. um but but i and you know i mean obviously that's an interesting addition to it yeah, the um, and, and, has a lot of teachings on that stuff and it, and it filters into the 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 enochian of of the of the golden dawn as well right because I mean, of the sub-elemental the, quadrants right yeah but again yeah. as we were just saying a minute ago that like the the, the deep purists look at it at that all all that gets flushed down the toilet yes right? yes it does <laughs> not, not a bit of that makes any sense anymore if you get rid of the, um, the elemental aspect of the tablets yeah so yeah. So the two interesting differences between uh, the Stenwickian and Leachian approach to he the Heptarchia is Stenwick puts um, the king, prince, and ministers all on one sigil and stands on it as D would uh -huh. us do. And Leach has the prince on the table, the king in hand, and the ministers under the feet. And what I noted, so by, you know, that's where I was like, okay, now I need to go to the manuscripts and looking at those, it's quite clear that actually D does have uh, this a sigil on the table, but it says nothing of, I believe, of one in the hand. So it's like even splitting the difference. <laughs> it looks like maybe right. is standing on the ministers and and has you know the and the and the uh, king and the prince on the table. Yeah, like sort of. Like, there's definitely 
there's definitely a standing on i remember them oh, yeah that's quite clearly that's one that's of the most cool interesting parts about this whole system it's what, what made me so keen i'm like oh let's definitely try a system of planetary magic that involves drawing awesome sigils and you know standing on them <laughs> like so i've got my 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 you know my canvas all spread in a circle and i'm painting on my sigil and it's great and then yeah and the other traditional part of it is you know rather than doing like uh, i would often do an sirp or a watchtower to initiate a nokian work um, instead, you know, you've got the prayer of Enoch repeated three times, then the heptarchial oration, and then a conjurations for the king and prince. Right. And do you, do you feel like you, you can't do a, um, a, a more golden Donish opening and still be doing a, I'm just curious because um, it's, it seems like to me that those things aren't really completely out of step with one another. It's not like, oh, no, yeah. No, I, you know, I, they're both, they're both good as, in my opinion. Um, we, we're, we're doing, we're doing a mixture of stuff and we're experiencing, you know, people, people, people do what they want. Um, but definitely I encourage people to explore and compare and contrast. Like Stenwick has some very interesting theories. He, he believes the best way to create the right kinds of energy field around you is by doing, combining the LBRP with the LIRH. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, people come up with different things through experimenting. And that's definitely the main thing to encourage, I think, especially when teaching a new system to people. Well, one of the things that, I, that, I mean, you know, obviously this is just my opinion and, but I, but I, but it's based somewhat on observation. And um, that is that I, it seems, and I actually may have even mentioned this to you in one of our previous conversations. It seems to me that a lot of magicians go down a path of beginning with fairly simple things and ending up with very complex things and feeling that the very complex thing is the key to it all. And yet what it seems to me that, that if you took away all of the ritual um, st stuff that's going on and just look at what's actually happening with that magician, they're improving their ability to sort of tune into <laughs> the spirit world um and to and to tune into the energies of the various you know things that are going on and like and like with you know go, use it utilizing the the divine face of the heptarchian system as opposed to the divine face of the say the arbitel system or something like that those are two different feeling things um and it's not and i and I, I wonder if like the the procedural differences are making a difference or if it's really just the familiarity with the material that's making a difference i know that there's there's you know there's missteps that can be made you know if you start combining you know completely unrelated things with one another then you can you can start to cause damage but as long as you're sort of staying within a symbol set and staying within a you know a, a, a magical milu so to speak it seems like the, the the procedure becomes less relevant than just the experience of the practitioner that's just yeah. my observation for my for my own self and then and then the people who i mean like you know obviously i only i only have exposure to i probably have exposure to less people than you do since you have like you know active working groups and you've been involved in orders that that are spread over wide geographical areas um so um you probably have a much clearer perspective on on what I'm talking about than I do, but but within my limited perspective, it seems like the improvements that people make magically aren't by improving their procedures, but by improving themselves and their you know themselves as vehicles for any procedure. It's a it's something we talk about a lot. It's a very interesting debate. Uh, I just read 
uh, John King's imperial arts, and he would definitely represent the opposing view to that. You know, he, he's yes. one who believes that uh, visualization is nonsense and a waste of our time. And he would definitely come down on the procedure makes perfect side rather than your special connectivity, though he also does believe you have to be sort of specially selected to be able to do this. So there's definitely a range of opinion in, in the reputable occult world, I suppose. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm part of the reputable occult world. Well, I don't even. Yeah, I know. I say that word because I don't know what other words to say. The the something, the something <laughs> occult world. Um, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I'm definitely more along your lines of of you know the interpreting it as as sort of a, a qualitative connection that increases or quantitatively is developed by doing frequently more and more work and yeah um it's it's interesting uh, have, have you had a chance to to interview uh king at all no no i heard him on um one of the one of the like podcasts that has a, a pretty large listenership um and when he was actually speaking he sounded to be much more um chilled than in his books yeah yeah <laughs> that, that was my impression but um but i mean he just wrote a new book and i haven't read the whole thing but i but i i went i went i read through a bit of it and it seems like it's still on that same wavelength of yeah you gotta you gotta do the procedure right and it doesn't matter what you're what you're thinking you're doing and just do the procedure and it will take care of itself um you know as as if magic is a technology similar to you know electronics or something um which i mean Maybe it is. I don't know. In in which case, I'm a, I'm a poor electrician, or I was. <laughs> yeah. No. I think and, I, I think the approach that approach is is just as uh, is is definitely myopic because it, it's it's just part of this trend to to take the thing that you're into and say this is also the limits of what is and what what can be and just discount everything else, and it's just it's it's sort of lazy. I think to to what well, reality it sounds like our whole it, it actually sounds like our whole civilization though doesn't it i mean that's it yeah <laughs> that seems absolutely to be the, the trend everywhere it's not just in magic it's in everything from from cooking to politics yeah i, I just don't like yeah you can't i don't think you have there's even a leg to stand on to argue that imagination and visualization are meaningless human qualities essentially <laughs> um yeah well, well, to me it, it's actually it, it, uh, i i think it's a it's a it's actually a byproduct of the of science the scientific revolution because um and and the uh, the the cartesian i think uh separation of of um consciousness and matter um before that time period people just didn't have that that set there, there wasn't that duality between the two things so when you said you dreamed something it didn't it, it didn't say, well, you didn't have to then say, well, is that a, a real dream or is that one of those fake dreams that's just in your head? You know, was that was that the divine speaking to you um, through a dream or or was that just in, I mean, there there wasn't that sense that that that, that even was a thing, <laughs> you know, so your, your your inner consciousness and outer world, they're all an interconnected whole um, up until sort of the scientific revolution that people like to call newtonian but that seems very unfair considering that he was an alchemist so um 
probably didn't have that perspective himself. So, uh, but you know, but previous to that point, we we didn't we didn't have this uh, argument about these silly things like like are you a psychological magician? What does that even mean? Yes, yeah. I study yeah. my soul. No, that, that all that sort of dualistic thinking, I think, is a bunch of nonsense especially the the psychological spirit model because the idea that that your brain or however the mind and consciousness works is separate from us whatever the spirit realm is is so crazy because we don't even yet know what consciousness or the mind or even matter is right. and to say that put that in opposition to the spirit land or the spirit matter or spirit realm like how on earth could you think these two unknown things are are oppositionally different much more likely they're two experiences of a greater whole you know right and, we can't and, comprehend and, and and even even just getting simpler um if you if you say that anything that happens in your consciousness and your imagination or in your you know in your mind is not is not a real thing or not a, a magically applicable thing that gets rid of like most biblical prophecy it gets rid of um the, you know it, the the whole of shamanism i mean it just it just throws so much of the mystical and magical world in the toilet that it doesn't i mean like why are you even having that argument you're arguing against your own experiences you know <laughs> if you if you if you're talking to demons those demons are are not in the room in a palpable way that in the same way that your friend fred is they just aren't you know they're 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 no matter how present they are energetically they are an experience in consciousness and you know quite quite a few people who i've interviewed have said well i think someone might be able to detect that they were in the room i mean show me that <laughs> you know it's not it's not like i i've had i've had plenty of shared visionary experiences um similar to what you were talking about with the entity speaking um similar things to you guys mm -hmm. um I've, I've had things like that happen i've had experiences where people are in the room having the same vision at the same time you know so i mean i'm not i'm not discounting the spirit world as something that's real i'm just saying it's not separate from consciousness it's silly to to try and make that cut you know there's no there's no reason for yeah it. It, it it takes away interestingly enough and i and i and i don't want to start losing guests as a result of me sort of talking crap about the people i've interviewed but the people who have that view often seem to be the people who also say well no i never see visions whatsoever yeah the, well that actually i was gonna say yeah the, a lot of them they tend to uh, all could be confessedly poor scryers which right. always makes me laugh it's like oh yeah um yeah but Maybe you, if you weren't completely close to that part of your consciousness you just suddenly find that you were a good <laughs> but king describes seeing these demons physically in the triangle yeah and i don't, and I, don't think that, I, I don't know that king would say that 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 spirits aren't a part of consciousness either either in his books or in his um he just would say that they aren't in our minds which are two yeah. different things yeah yeah no um i think psychology has to be understood in its proper place but to, yeah, to discount it or to give it too much credit is is a mistake and uh, over over compensation well, and, I, and i think that the mistake was really made by alistair crowley and I, and I know that he's like a big punching bag for everybody's you know stuff these days but i mean he he wrote in several places things that he was he was trying to be cool you know he'd been reading young and you know trying to like 
sound like he was modern and scientific about stuff. And he ended up saying some stuff that I really don't think um, would, I don't, I, I doubt that he would want to stand behind. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, at one point old. he claimed that it was all psychological and then he reversed himself later on in, towards the end of his life and said right. it's all real. Whatever those words mean, I just think the, the whole debate about each of those definitions is, is silly. It is. We're we're not we're not there yet. We're like still we're not there in our science. Let and so and so of course we're just all we can do is investigate these things spiritually and you know and science will truck along behind at its its own rate. And speaking of science, yeah. well, one of the things I think is really interesting is how many skeptics in the last uh, twenty years or so have had to say that like by any other measure of scientific exploration, psychic powers have been def definitively proven to exist. But because it's psychic powers, we refuse to <laughs> believe it. I mean, it's like they, they, there have to be at least five that I've seen who've basically said those words in writing or, or in speech. And um, it's just so preposterous. It's like, it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> what if, I mean that that's that's what they said about uh, uh Galileo you know like, you know, like the, you're 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 just being the the people who don't believe in things for the sake of not believing them because they don't want to have to change their models well dude they they said that about um you know uh UFOs right I mean I I, I still don't know what the what the what the current I, I uh, are, are we uh, are we believing in ufos now i'm not i'm not sure what what the, I, I i've seen headlines about it but i haven't ever well, read definitely ufos they they've you know a lot like or ua i mean i i know i've yeah. i've seen ufos i just i you know i don't know what they are whether yeah. they oh really be... you when did you see them oh i've seen them a, a couple times with my wife wow um yeah, that's what we're discovering is that there's like tons more than we thought. And everyone's like, a lot of people are like, yeah, we, we told you so. And the rest was like, oh, shit. What the fuck? <laughs> I guess we believe in UFOs now. Well, we, we, we know that we, they are a thing. What they are, we don't know. Right. I mean, I guess, I guess, I, I, yeah. What I mean by that is, are we believing that they're, in, 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 you know, alien life forms contacting us or just something, you know, I mean, the experiences I had um, were both uh, sort of distant flying objects, one of which was um, just way too, way too fast moving, but like the, the, the my wife and I were both sort of staring up at the sky, looking through a, a moonroof in her car, and this thing just like zipped by, and it was too high to be I mean, it, it was just a, it was an, it was an unexplainable object, you know, it, 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 it moved too quickly and it, and it moved too weirdly for it to be any, it was not a plane because it moved way too fast and the, the lighting, the color of it was this weird sort of um, uh, amber color that you just don't see uh, on, you know, airplanes at all. So, and it just, and it moved really fast. We both like, without even speaking to each other, just both jumped out of the car and, and, uh, it was it was gone by the time we got out, and, but it was it wasn't a, a meteorite either because it was it was a it was it was too it was slower than that. Yeah, faster than a, than a plane. So wow, I, I would love to see something like that sometime. That would be awesome. 
But the second one was, was even more impressive. It was it was actually multiple objects, and they were flying all around each other. And and they they they, they stayed long enough that I literally thought that we were going to hear on the radio, you know, it, it's finally happened. Yeah. <laughs> Alien life forms have revealed themselves. But then they just they just flew off, and that was it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have no idea what those were, um, you know, and th there might even be a, a rational explanation for them. So. Um, well, there was I one that be... was like the size of a city that floated over like New York or Chicago or someplace like that that was reported by hundreds of people. Including... Yeah, I mean, you hear about you hear about stuff like that once or twice just, a year. They, yeah, because they don't want to talk about it like the psychics, right? Like, like they don't want to talk about the fact that remote viewing works. Right. They don't want everyone. They don't want enemies developing it and using it. They don't want people to the people who are really like spot on naturally good at it to realize it yeah i mean i don't i don't know i i've done a couple of remote viewing groups and it i mean it, i i can definitively say that it does work and that and that you can um receive information but i've never worked with a person and maybe i just haven't been lucky enough to find one that you know that was right even more than you know, 50 or 60% of the time on, on enough of the information to, for it to be valuable. So, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the challenge with that sort of a thing is we really haven't in, in the same way we don't, we don't even know what consciousness is. We really haven't developed that concept well enough for it to be particularly tactically useful. I mean, you can definitely get impressions of other places and you can definitely get, you know, a, a, like when particularly the after effect, of when you're you're receiving information and then you find out what it is you're you know so often you're like oh okay yeah that is exactly what i was what i you know i totally get what those impressions were were trying to lead me towards mm -hmm. um but at the same time you know if you were trying to like find out if there was a a bomb in an enemy installation or something you know it would be, be rather hard to put that surprise <laughs> yeah yeah um Oh. I did a I did a group where we were trying to foresee the future because, um, you know, uh, according to at least one um, theoretical physicist who's also interested in this sort of stuff, um, there's really no reason why that sort of information would be linked to a you know forward time. So, um, and there and, you know there's there's also tons of evidence of precognition as well. Um, so we did a bunch of stuff and you know it, uh, again it, it was it was more than it was more than half the time i think we had a, like a 70 percent accuracy but like i mean you can't really you, that wouldn't in the real world that <laughs> yeah that doesn't yeah it's it's useful to a point maybe um anyway still very interesting uh something i hope we explore and understand i mean i think that magic really is us ex us exploring these things that seem to work right um and yeah. we have just different understandings and people have different points of view as to why it works whether it's through visualization and development and will or whether it's through formulas or some tradition or connection to what is really real um but either way we're still fumbling around with the same formulas ceremonies invocations and spells be in some form or the other because they seem to work and and 
sometimes they do and sometimes they don't some things seem to work better than others and that's what we're doing that's that's where the development is ma of magic as i see it is we're still moving forward just putting things together in in different ways to getting new things because you know some stuff Inoki magic's relatively recent um yeah and, and that's the, well, the the thing about enochian that's that's kind of interesting is that i don't think d or kelly would really have wanted it to be called magic um because first of all that was pretty much it's been a pejorative word basically since at least ancient Greece, you know, I mean, not, not the word, but the, the conceptual chunk of, of behavior that we call magic. Obviously, it's the word has changed as language has changed. But this idea of doing an, you know, a, an operation that is sort of um, selfish in any way that's kind of against the natural order of things in order to try and make something happen that you're choosing to make, um, that's always been considered to be sort of mm, forbidden, you know, and, and not um, uh, something that D or Kelly would really want it to be involved in. But at the same time, there's always been people wanting to work magic. And by any real definition of, of you know, from as an outsider looking in, it, it's clear that they were doing magic. <laughs> but they wouldn't yeah. have, they really would, they wouldn't have called it that. And um, I think that, you know, one of the, one of the things that you're discovering as you're trying to do it sort of, quote unquote, by the book, is that they what they were doing really doesn't resemble our way of doing magic all that much at all, or even you know no. they were they were basically they were praying yeah. and then waiting for an entity to speak to them. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, when you think that of uh, Franz Barden, he famously sort of thought of magic or, or the what we call magic as like true religion in a sense. He often, I think, refers to it as true religion, um, what we're doing, this hermetic stuff that he he, yeah. he presented so interestingly and fascinatingly. Um, and then, like, I think it was even John King on Glitch Bottle, or maybe it was Frater Acker who was highlighting the fact that, you know, the, first, the, orig the original word magic was, was Persian, and it was used against Persians to basically, uh, you know, uh, denigrate their their practices and faith. Oh, that's magia, right. that's magic. And I think it was King actually, who might've said like basically magic was what you called other people's religion. And if you think of Franz Barden's idea that ma this magic that we do is true religion, then really, yeah, this is just our religion maybe, you know? And magic is this pejorative term that we've sort of proudly self-adopted at this point in time. Well, I mean, we've done it with, with witches, vampires, uh... There, there's just a ton of words that were that were once considered to be something that you wouldn't want to be called that people probably sort of walk around with the title these days um the the thing about um the thing about magic uh which you know obviously we're we're, we're stuck with the word now i mean you can use the word sorcery and you can use the word theurgy to sort of separate them from one another and i think that that's a somewhat valuable way of, of approaching things although sorcery itself i mean that's that word has also been used a lot by stage magic so um and and um fairy tale magic so it, it's it's a word that doesn't that's sort of loaded in its own way too um but if you read academic books on the study of, of ancient magical practices 
almost every single one spends at least 20 pages at the beginning trying to define what magic is <laughs> because because it's such a it's such an odd concept because people do all kinds of things people do rituals for all kinds of reasons particularly in the past when um medicine uh, was often sort of mixed with various sort of ritual or and talismanic um things i mean all the way up until the you know pr pretty late in our in our history we that 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 has been the case um so you know something that looks quite a lot like magic can really just be the act of a doctor and and same with a priest you know or you know a, um, a clergy person they they do things that that look a lot like magic as well but those aren't considered to be the bad kind of magic which um I, the funny thing about modern occultists is that they they often are really more religious than they are magical i mean i think that i think that what what you know the bad magic <laughs> that i don't i, I mean it, it it's obviously a silly idea but but when people are 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 casting spells on people to make to try and manipulate them yeah. or hurt them um or uh people are trying to um force spirits to bring them money or something like that you know those are those are sorts of things that that are that are frowned upon um by society and you know i don't i don't know whether there's there was really a reason to feel that way but i mean i guess you know because like if you're born rich you have certain advantages <laughs> that that you know that you get to just sort of have um, and if you're born beautiful you're you have you have certain advantages that other people don't have so i mean it seems like there's really no difference between that and you know um crushing some herbs over a candle and saying some incantations that's that doesn't seem to be any more unfair than you know the, than so the people who are born with all kinds of privileges in their lives that that just get to do with what they want without having to try harder um but that's you know the 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 problem with with uh, those sorts of behaviors the you know ones that our our ancestors would have called bad magic um is that they don't really bring you inherently toward a greater understanding of yourself or the universe they're just trying to manipulate the universe for your, for your own ego benefit in some way or another so um and there's no there's no way of of parsing that that's just that that that's just the fact um however those sorts of things can can serve the purpose of of like if you if you're more if you do a healing spell on yourself uh you can live longer so that you can you know find your enlightenment down the road and same with money and um love brings you joy and that brings you that brings you closer to the divine you know I mean, but you you can there's there's a reason to do anything but inherently those actions tend to draw you more towards selfishness yeah i think that that can be the case um you you and we have this divide between the you know very sort of uh uh eager thaumaturgists and theurgists right those who are focused on self-transformation and and theosis and those who are interested in wonder working whether it's to gain riches or or bring health or he healing or hurt to other people um and uh yeah some of some of them discard one or the other though i think really uh the the, the whole 
point of the path of the initiate is to is to um, use the ability to work wonders in harmony with that sense of true will on the and being in alignment with the true self so that what you are working what wonders you are working on in the world are in alignment with your your highest self and your you know the highest divine will that you can draw from but not everyone sees it that way and i've had a lot of conversations with people they def definitely don't see it that way and they think all of the theurgy or self-development or spiritual mystical journeys complete nonsense and a waste of time and magic is magic and has nothing to do with anything else and that's and they just are about creating changes in this world and manipulating nature it's it's a big divide it's very fascinating you know interestingly uh rufus opus actually when i was talking to him he had a um he had an interesting take on it um which is that in in his perspective even if you're doing sort of selfish things with your magic because of the fact that you're making contact with the spirit world you're inherently growing on some level I thought that was an interesting idea. I don't know that. In oh, practice, yeah. Like, yeah, dude, that's, I mean, that's a, such a huge idea in the Golden Dawn. I mean, that's why we, we do all these God form works all the time. And uh, we consider every elemental we create in ceremony and, you know, all the way up through every ritual we do is having a theurgic or uh, a divinizing effect upon our nature just because we are yes, but, engaging in the spirit world for sure every work is holy and that's where you get full circle back around to the religion right and that right. at that point of, of theurgical in a, you know sort of like inner initiate uh, stage you're you're not even doing the magic because you're attached to some sort of desired outcome, but because it's so, because the act of doing the work is so holy and it's sacrificed to the Lord. Right. And the fact that something might manifest in alignment with your true will is a side effect of the holiness of going up that middle pillar rather than craving the powers of, of the black and the white pillars. Sure. And, and, and I think that that, you know, that that's one of the, positive outcomes of the 19th century occult revival is that that is that that idea of an, an initiatory cycle in which you grow as a being um you know really grew out of that um possibly partially out of freemasonry yeah you know and obviously the ancient the ancient mysteries and looking back at that uh, played a part in it as well but um you know first of all i don't i don't know that and I, I can't speak to your experience because um, you because you have a, it seems like from our previous conversations, you've had a really good experience with your um, particular Golden Dawn um, group and, and you know, a greater network that you've been involved in. But I think I mean, I know personally from from people who come to me that a lot of people have been um, less than thrilled with various other versions of the, of the golden dawn system and and those initiatory uh sorts of uh orders in general and and of course the, there's an obvious problem that comes in um which is hard to deal with but i mean you know the the people you know when you when you invite a person you know a person comes to you and they say i want to join your group you you sort of look at them twice and you go oh this is this person going to be a, a positive member or are they going to be a negative member right and you know the ones who seem like they're not going to be the best match you you figure out a way of making them not join and the ones that seem like they're going to be great you bring in wholeheartedly right but it's pretty easy to make a mistake in that even a very wise person can cannot recognize <laughs> that someone's 
going to have an, an ego overload rather than a, a growth within an organization like that. And so as soon as you have people who are, who are not so great, who take on leadership positions in organizations, then you start having things like people getting emotionally abused or sexually abused within, within an organization. And, um, and this isn't just with the golden dawn. I mean, we're, we're, this is a huge problem in, you know, in Eastern religion stuff quite a lot, you know, yogi uh, gurus uh, are, have been really horrible to people um, in the 20th century. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, we don't really have a way of being sure that the person who we're going to get initiated by, or the person who we're going to be, um, initiating is is who they who they claim to be um because yeah i mean you, you and i are both human and we know um we're not perfect in in ways and and so like i i think having known you for a while now i think that you've got a really good heart and i and i you know i'm, I'm gonna venture to say that i have a good heart too and and what that makes me do um because i've been in a leadership position in in a uh, in an occult group too is i try and see the best in people all the time you know mm -hmm. like <laughs> so i will often let a person in who's probably too damaged to really get much benefit out of the group because i feel for them and i and i hope the best for them and that they're going to you know rise to the occasion rather than what my little gut instinct says they probably won't um and most of the time those people just sort of crash and burn but i've i've definitely seen some people with serious problems grow to be in pretty high leadership positions in organizations i don't know if you have um i guess you probably yeah have because you yeah for sure for sure <laughs> i've had to deal with it directly for years you so, know you know and, and that's the challenge in an initiatory experience you're you're you know obviously you're just playing a role to a certain extent but but you also are the sort of the spiritual holder so if there's a lot of cancer in there it just doesn't it, it really hurts that process. It's, it's definitely why we have such strict rules in the, in the Golden Dawn about having multiple adepts to run a temple. You can't just have one person there. Their ego can't take it. They just can't. Um, you have to have multiple people, and that requires dialogue and discourse. And if you have good people, you can build a really awesome temple, like Temple Tehuti in Vancouver was founded in the early mid-90s by Nineveh Shadra who was trained down in LA by, you know, Ramses and Zinc and the other people who founded that order. And, you know, he brought a lot with him to founding of the sanctuary and then Temple of Tehuti and trained up other good adepti and created a really powerful magical environment of really eager people who were like giving their all to building the best temple they could with the most beautiful everything and all the tools and good classes. And they kept growing and improving my entire experience there, right? Up until eventually... Yeah, until I closed the temple and, and we built it bigger and bigger and more and more active. And, and people would naturally, you'd think that uh, people that weren't really definitely meant for leadership roles, like generally they, they were pretty easy to identify. And if, and you know, they could always just still go through the grades. They can go through the outer order and graduate the system. It's a self-contained system that you finish. And, you know, then if you want to show up to initiations or monthly events, that's cool, but you're, you finished the system. There's nowhere right. now it's, it's on you now, right? That's, that's a, that's a really good thing. Cause we get to know you over that length of time. And if you're not suited for 
this particular inner order, you might be suited for another, or to, you can just live your life, do whatever you want. You can still come to things as long as, you, you know, if you're a dick and you misbehave, you will get expelled. Like you can't grab people's asses or, or, uh, you know, bad mouth people or, or say nasty, you know, be rude. And, you know, there's a high standard of behavior most of the time. And I definitely had to deal with that a bunch. I had to expel people, you know, every, every once in a while. Um, or at least have talks with them. Usually you can work with people. It's like <laughs> we're human beings, like you were saying, right? So it's not like all these just hardened black and white rules and hard and fast, like people aren't dicks. Usually you can work with people and, and help people get through things, especially in a magical environment. You can give people regiments of work. I was given crazy regiments of work that, that would blow people's minds. That would last six months, 18 months, two years. Like I was held in portal for 18 months during my whole, you know, knowledge and conversation abramelin period and that was a long time and i was given extremely rigorous work to do to you know combat the powerful egoic forces coming at you through tahuti and and the powerful workings you're doing and just the current of having gone through all of those grades and you're in spirit getting ready for the sun you know it's a it's a massively powerful time so you need to temper it. it's like hey sweep him up three thousand square feet every day for a year you know that sort of stuff helps that kind of environment of support and helping people grow really does have an effect and created like it's why most people who go through the orders that i know they still like had great experiences with amazing people that you know last forever and usually so, bad people get spit out because they're lazy and don't want to do shit but once in a while you have a really bad person like sociopath level who does ascend and does get power because they're playing a game they're not just right sort of a dick who's not cut out for leadership in this kind of demanding environment um they're like actually you know scary up there or and, or they have some sort of pathological problem where they're like they 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 want approval and so they they work really hard but it's all for this weird not i mean anyway i don't want to i don't want to talk crap about other people yeah too well much, but, so tahuti okay. produced like you know seven eight adepts over its decade you know decade plus or decade of time and uh yeah two of them decided wanted needed to be went off and are got to be the only people in charge and they keep trying to take power from other people in the occult world and they just got to be these supremely honored grand pubas and that's the way they they like it and so you know those people are there and for us it was probably it was two out of the hundreds of members that went through our temple temple and of the seven eight adepts that were made by it yeah i mean i think for me the the greater problem in occult groups is 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 not so much that people aspire to be awful but just that they aspire to be so little that there <laughs> there's actually more sort of boringness in the occult groups that I, that i've been involved with with, with I, no with no aspersions uh meant upon any of my friends um even those of them who are boring but um that you know that the, they're the the idea of actually sort of rising to any great level either personally or within an organization really was outside of what they wanted and and they just sort of wanted to you know vegetate in the place or whatever take advantage of it look for girls or whatever <laughs> you know like that it seemed like that and even even within my own um teaching very often because you know one of the things that i kind of emphasize is is setting goals for oneself not just magical goals but goals in life and it seems like a lot of people 
don't really want to set very interesting goals for themselves. And it seems strange, you know, if you have all the, if, if, if anything is possible in your life and you, you can, oh, yeah. you can accomplish exactly what you want. Why, why would, why, why would you just choose to have a slight pay raise or something like that? You know, like what, <laughs> what um, but I mean, that's where a lot of people's heads are at. And I, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to insult them. Cause I mean, obviously, you know, if, if, if everybody is, is a bunch of, um, you know, uh, jungle, jungle cat kings, then we are all going to end up, you know, tearing each other apart, <laughs> you know, to a certain extent. Um, you know, there's only, there's only so much, uh, I mean, how many, how many adepts can the world really, um, handle? Well, um, you know, as an Aquarius looking into the Aquarian age, I'd like to imagine all the people living life in peace, you know, hey, no, I'd, like, I'd love that. like but we could achieve a higher level of spirituality. And I think it will happen in the long term, uh, but I'm a little pessimistic in the short term. Yeah, I mean, part, part of it is we aren't really set up for it culturally you know, no we have a long ways to go i think a really long ways to go like hundreds of years <laughs> i mean i i actually think i think i think it could happen within our lifetime but i don't i but it but it would it would require a um a, a weight of consciousness shift that i think um in my youth i was misperceiving you know like because i think <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> rather than, rather than like a, a lot of the people who I, I would have thought oh they're on they're really on the enlightenment wavelength actually just they're 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 doing something uh, you know everyone's gone either too far to the right or too far to the left uh, to the point where they're no longer really functioning in a in a healthy way towards other people yeah um, well the, the middle pillar is not trendy right now and i don't i don't understand how that how that happened it felt it felt <laughs> it almost feels like it was pulled out from under me and so i've become more cynical as i've gotten older because I, I you know i i was i was so hopeful that we were really moving in this wonderful direction and i've just watched things in all you know and, I, and i'm thinking mostly of magical culture but um the greater culture as well i've watched things really shift in in these really weird ways that i just you know like i, I thought we were talking about freedom I thought we were talking about love, you know, like, no, you must obey. And, you know, and that, and that's on, and that's on both sides of the political aisle. It's, it's everywhere. Everyone's, everyone's super into controlling each other and telling people what the right behavior is, whether, you know, in, in one, in one direction or another. And it seems really strange to me. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, no. within, you know, within the, the, the broader view of occultism, the idea of initiatory orders, if it existed at all, was pretty small in comparison to what was what was going on for the most part. I mean, magic has really, you know, um, mostly been what, what I what I termed earlier the bad magic. <laughs> you know, it's been a profession through most of its existence. Um, and it's a profession that sort of, you know, in in the on the outskirts of town, you know, you, you go and you go and do, do some magic with somebody and that, and that sort of, um, persona has largely become, you know, the psychic parlor denizens, um, where, and I, and I've worked in one of those and, you know, nice, nice folks, a lot of the times, and, you know, people who go there, they have a specific need. They want to either, 
um, have some decision that they've made confirmed or they're not sure what decision to make and they're looking for some advice or they have some suspicion and they want it confirmed or they want to, to you know do something about something you know they want to have some sort of magic done and that you know and that and that's really where magic has been most of the time um, is is in that and and the you know this the idea of, of um, the, these initiatory orders I mean obviously it, it started with the Rosicrucians to a large extent, um, you know, in, in, into our era, um, there, you know, there were sort of mystery traditions that people were getting initiated in long before that. And then a few sort of heretical um, religious sects that I guess you'd get initiated into, but I don't know how much magic they were doing, but you know, this, this kind Look, of combination. In the of early magic, Christian churches, there was tons of initiations and magic going on for the first hundreds of years of Christianity. I mean, for sure there and, and the, the, you know, Christianity was, was viewed as sort of a, 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 a on the edge of town, yeah. <laughs> you know, kooky cult of drug blood drinkers. Right. Well, yeah. well, the weird thing about there's this, there's this legend and it. it seems like it's, it's told about everybody from, from tantrics to Christians to Satanists. And that's that they, you know, they get together and they all have sex with each other, the, the men, women, boys, girls, paying no attention to their, their familial relationships with each other outside of there. And if any child is, is produced by it, then that child is sacrificed and eaten by the, um, by the community. That is a, like a worldwide accusation. And early Christians yeah, were- it sounds like polemics. What's that? It sounds like polemics, like what you write about the people you think are bad. Yeah, and and it's crazy because it's it's so like that big story with exactly those words is worldwide. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. That's crazy. So we all make we all say the same shit when we don't like someone. <laughs> right? They're like, they're eating their babies. They're, they're all, a cunt. <laughs> so uh, you know, and in certain yeah, parts of it, obviously, you, know, you touch upon practices that people actually do. <laughs> yeah, and you know, hey, I just had a thought. Like, so another piece of the uh, magic into spiritual development thing. I think, uh, yeah, a big chunk of that must have come in with the inclusion and incorporation of Kabbalah in the 16th century into like the alchemy, the budding Rosicrucian, you know, proto-Rosicrucianisms. Absolutely. And, uh, so, so the Kabbalah coming in with the Hecalot and the Merkava practices of going astral traveling or spiritually pathworking, venturing down into these mansions under, under below you or riding the chariot into the heavens, like that's our path working essentially now and it, it's definitely got to have played a major role in influencing the few as those traditions fused and were studied together because the christians would study the kabbalah because of uh yeah so that's yeah, I mean, that's a thing for for sure and the, i mean the 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 thing is that i think that a lot of what you just talked about with astral traveling and and speaking to spirits and um, even making talismans and stuff that that stuff was really a part of culture that was gutted from Europe yeah. you know that, that was made forbidden there but I don't think that it was quite as made forbidden other places so I don't think it's just Judaism I think that the the, um, the Muslims coming in also reintroduced a significant amount of that stuff back into culture um, I think that the the influence of of, um, of India, um, you know, back and forth here and there, particularly in you know, yeah. once we get into the 
uh, 18th and 19th centuries. Um, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff was, I don't want to say it was lost, but it was, it was sort of put into the shadows so much in our culture that, that we, we didn't, you know, we, it, it's, it, I don't even think we understand the difference between magic religion and, <laughs> and the, uh, you know, fantasy in our, in our, in our culture at all, because it's all sort of, you know, you're, you're obeying the rules of the, the group that you're a part of, or there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I don't mean like a magical group. I mean, like your, your cultural group, you're very Catholic, you go to Catholic church, you go to, you go there on Sunday, you do your, um, you know, your, uh, uh, what is it called? It's the, the Catholic kids thing that they would go Catechism. to. No, no, it was, it was like, it was like a, it was like a school. The, the you know the Jewish kids all had to like learn a little bit of Torah so they could get through their um, their bar mitzvah and that you yeah, know you get sure. you do that and then, and then you then you forget all that and you, <laughs> you just show up on the holy days and, and you're fine and uh, what was it called it was like CI something or someone someone I'm sure will RCIA um, no it was a I can't remember I think but, you're yeah, catechism. I, I, uh no you know well i mean i don't know maybe maybe I am. um all I, all I know is that a lot of the catholic kids had to go to do something after school um for a while yeah. so anyway you do that stuff to to pass the sort of cultural things and then you just go about your life and you don't think about it anymore um actually being super spiritual is not even really thought of at all you know in in our in our culture you're weird if you're doing that you become a priest or join some cult you know like, <laughs> like spirituality or, or or i mean like stranger than spirituality is is studying sort of ritual forms and trying to understand the universe from a spiritual perspective but but have a practical bent towards it that's a really weird thing to be interested in if you think about it from like a you know an outsider's yeah. perspective so, so people should people should start making podcasts about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, are you familiar with uh, Ramsey Dukes's book, um, "Sex Secrets of the Black Magicians"? No, <laughs> not exactly <laughs> my kind of title. It, well, it's actually it's usually just titled S S O T B M E, um, and it has nothing to do with that topic whatsoever. Um, so, uh, it's actually an essay on on magic and um, comparing it on like a compass with uh, religion, science, art, and magic, and that that each of them has their own sort of direction. And I've always thought that was an interesting perspective on things. Um, and it does seem like people have one of those sort of directions more in their lives. You know, uh, creative people. They are they 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 go into their inner realms, but it's really only it doesn't have to make any sense, and it's just there's no there's no greater order that's being sought by it. Um, scientific people, you know, just just want to deal with the material world. Um, spiritual people, I mean, uh, religious people want to sort of like you know follow the rules of the of the religion correctly, and magical people kind of want to find some sort of meaning in 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 things that maybe not. That's maybe not visible from the outside. 
Um, but I think that like what what that what that way of looking at it, um, it, it actually shows that a lot of people who would consider them as part of the, themselves part of the magical community are actually far more religious than they are magical. Hmm. They're not they're not really. Um, and I mean, obviously, it's it's a it's not a um, it's not an exact, you know, you have, if you're, if you're pointing one way, you can't go in the other way a little bit too, but it, there, there's a, there's a, um, there's a difference between the person who wants to learn how to do a magic spell to cause something to happen. And the person who wants to find their holy guardian angel and, and aspire to becoming, you know, enlightened and returning to God. Those are, two very different people well and that's why that people like steven skinner do remind us of that technical difference because it is a technical difference for sure well but it's not it's more than just a technical difference because you can actually be be doing the same thing but for different reasons exactly you know if 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 you you can you can be doing exactly the same words and the same actions but have an entirely different intention behind it and um that intention is something that's in your that's in your psychology (laughs) yeah yeah no it's very interesting these are very interesting sort of paradigms that we're exploring i love it uh you're a great person to to do this with (laughs) yeah it's nice to shoot the shit with you man yeah you too yeah i don't know if anyone else is interested in it but um i'd say one or two (laughs) So what, what I think is interesting about um, going, going back to the technical aspect of things, the, the ritual technology, is that if you look at what people have been doing for the entire time that we've been doing ritual, whether it's religious ritual, um, magical ritual, or even just sort of societal ritual, you know, um, social rituals, uh, they're all basically the same. There's a there's a common formula to all of it, and really all that changes is kind of who who we're who we're seeking who or what we're seeking to connect with. Um, so like a lot of modern sort of witchcraft folk um, or Wicca folk, I, and I don't want to use that in, as a pejorative at all, um, but it, it tends to be more the ones that that u- utilize the word Wicca. They're very energy focused in their magic. You know, they want to they want to they want to connect with the energy of this or the or you know feel the vibe of that. Um, whereas the sort of uh, grimoirists and um, you know more sort of the by the bookish kind of magicians, they're they're looking to connect with the the entity, the intelligence or whatever, and and as we mentioned before very often they aren't going to make that connection very directly because they because they don't really have a very visionary um consciousness so they have to bring their wiccan friend along to be the seer while they do the the rituals correctly but um but ultimately the those two things aren't really different from one another at all it's just it's just a set of words that are being used to describe it there's i mean what you know entity and energy both don't really describe a spiritual being they're just <laughs> they're just sort of they're 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 just they're a, a pathway to a spiritual connection right 
this is why it's helpful to once in a while do a bunch of DMT and remind yourself of what the spirit realms really look like. Be like I mean, that's, oh, that's why I can't make sense of it in my day to day. That's right. It's fucking insane. Holy yeah, it doesn't shit. Have anything. Yeah. Well, it's responsive in the ways that you'd expect it to be magically, especially when you try some magical things in those realms, in my experience. So it's like, okay, yeah, this is a response realm. Plus, you can talk to beings, and some people found ways to go and talk to the same beings by playing certain tones while they're going through their trip. So a frequency played in the room when they do it has helped them go back to the same exact place over and over, which is fascinating new, very underground research some people are doing. I mean, that, and that, and again, that that really connects very much with uh, ancient theurgy, which is basically that you are, right. you know you're trying to connect with that sort of cosmic, um, you know, music of the spheres to use the a later term, but that, you know, the, 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 the divine hierarchy from the top to the bottom that is along um, certain kinds of, you know, rhythmic or vibrational frequencies. I, what I think is interesting, it, it, I, I like the idea of trying to contact the same entity um, more than once in, in a, in a drug, um fugue but what i think is interesting is how whole universes seem to spring into being <laughs> in in that are different from one another um when you when you uh, are exposed to those substances because that to me that seems just as fascinating as the idea that there's this sort of order to it all and if you just if you just press the right buttons you're going to you're going to get back to the same channel yeah. but there, there's also an an equally valid from our perspective limited perspective of humanity um possibility that it's like uh rick and morty's um you know infinite cable that there just literally is you know an infinite number of possible places to to connect with and so trying to connect with the same one over and over again that's almost like you know yeah marrying someone before you even um have met them you know <laughs> yeah there, you, there's so many possible places to go with all this stuff um i mean it, it, it's, it's probably a good idea to realize that it is possible to somewhat control it so um where do you where do you find out about that research with the um the sounds oh this is just people i i know you know mostly just, like little groups of yeah. psychonaut freemasons who are, you know, I'll, I'll try and get this one guy to come on it. He said he would at some point, but he's a very cool dude in Australian living in uh, America. And yeah, like, you know, no matter how far you learn about a subject, whether it's entheogens or Nokia magic, man, there's always people that have like taken each one little thing or this little thing and gone way beyond, you know, it's, it's amazing when you, when you can, when we start to actually reach out and see what other people serious practitioners of different disciplines are doing in their pioneering work i think we're at a very exciting time for developing new stuff i remember joseph campbell said something interesting on on some documentary um that basically you know his his experience as a mythologist was um you know in in some ways it, he he was left feeling a little bit left out sometimes because he because the the breadth of the things that he had explored and understood um was huge but there but he was he was constantly encountering people like you mentioned that 
that had that had uh, uh, swam so much deeper than than he could with what he was doing. Um, that you know that it, it, it was a it was an interesting trade off for him. And I you know and I don't I don't think he regretted the the path that he went down in his life at all. But but it just it it's an interesting thing to think about that some of us tend to be people who just want to sort of like you know, like you said, experiment with a, with a hundred different ways of doing something. <laughs> and there are some people who really just want to like stay with one particular thing. They're going to, you know, explore the seven sacred vowels their whole life. And that's, they're going to be their whole path or yoga, you know, that's just all they're going to do. Yeah. Well, I, I'm certainly a fan of specialization. I mean, it's, it's like, whatever dis, dis, disparities of perspective aside between me and John King, his work is fascinating because he's clearly gone all in into certain things and explored very sincerely. And so that's fascinating to read, like reading Ashton Chassan is, is fascinating because he's explored the Trithemian method more than anyone else, probably maybe ever in history. Um, you know, so these ex these expertises are always going to be fast. But you know, the thing about people who gain a high expertise in one thing is they tend to gain it in multiple things, anyways, because they're just pretty high functioning people. So, you know, Ashton Shasan's a, a great grimoire magician, and also he's a ninja who can kick your butt. <laughs> I know that's why that's why I never cast aspersions upon him. Never, we would not mock the Ashy chassis. He would cast a demon. We know we're we're going to get our asses kicked. Yeah, I'd rather Crowley either. send a million demons at me than Ash and Chasan think one negative thought about me. <laughs> that should be on a t-shirt. That would be a long, a bit, that would be an extra large. It's, a, it's long for a t-shirt. <laughs> it could be two-sided. Two uh, Maybe a mug for <laughs> contemplating. I'll make one for you if you interview him and wear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know I, so I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't know why i haven't contacted him i guess it's because um i haven't contacted anyone well i've talked to aaron because we live, both live here in florida but um you know i i, I sort of already did that stuff with them um and even though um uh josh was a part of the other one he was he was he was sort of like a like a a cat doing his own thing like he really didn't interact with anyone else he just kind of came on and did his thing and went away i don't think he watched anybody else's even a tiny bit but um so i i still wanted to interview him um i i i want to interview all 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 three of the other people that were involved all four uh s Connolly as well um yeah yeah, no, it's a, it's a good thing for those listening who don't know your master class of Enochia magic is a great, it's a deep dive if you already know a lot and it's a excellent survey if you don't know a lot presented by by masters from different perspectives and uh, I really enjoyed it when I did it just over a year ago when quarantine started, you know, I did that and your goetic one and uh, there's links to that on this on my site you guys so um, but yeah, no, excellent introduction. It would be really cool to hear you get into it more with uh, Stenwick and and you've interviewed Aaron, right? I haven't. I interviewed Carrie, his wife. Yeah. Um, uh, I I realized early on that I that like I, I had only interviewed one woman, and and I and I thought 
you know, and it's, it's purely because of the people that I know, you know, so like yeah. I, was, I would reach out to all the people that I know. And I reached out to a bunch of women who said no, because I didn't know them that well. You um, white so I, men. <laughs> you're right. No. And I, and I, and I, and so I, I really made a conscious choice to try and like as much as possible focus on getting female guests because um, I didn't want it to be a, you know, a monolithic uh, male blah, blah, to, you know, fat white men laughing at each other or whatever you know it just seems it seems strange to me um so yeah and, I, and i've gotten to to talk to some people who i might not otherwise have even considered talking to who, who i thought were really really interesting so um i think it was a it was a good choice um you know and yeah you're inside the magic circle podcast of video interviews is excellent i'm so glad that you did that and i hope you keep doing it um so yeah, we're, we're, there's a lot of good material coming out from from good people, and that's really good. We need to counterbalance some of the <laughs> wackos out there. Um, yeah, it's I'm like not sure. what's, the, what's the difference between the wackos and us? I'm, I don't really know. Um, you know, like <laughs> I, like telling people to like use demons to kill other people. Oh, I think yeah. those are wackos. If you're like encouraging sure. people to kill other people with demons, I think you're a fucking wacko. Who's 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 doing that? Oh, there's it's super popular. EO, EA quitting, and I don't want to send any people other, but you know, there's like a lot. There's lots of nut jobs out there, right? You know, or grifters or whatever you want to call them. Um, I'm just more light. I'm not that familiar with quitting. I didn't realize that he was testing yeah, he's just did a whole thing on how Enochian magic is, you know, the black mad black Enochian magic. You know, it's all blood. They're not really angels. They're black spirits. Rah. And it's like it's not Christian at all. It's like, well, if you read the prayers, <laughs> like one of my students <laughs> really loves it because it's so Catholic. Like, you know, right. he's gonna right. he's gonna gonna go to seminary. And I was like, I think you, I thought you'd like this. And he's like, Yeah, it's great. It's like, oh Jesus Lord, <laughs> it's like having a great time, you know. And the the people who are the thelemic people can use uh, Stenwick provides thelemic variants to the prayers and conjugate conjurations, yeah. which is wonderful. So that you know, people who you know. I, I made a slightly more GD version of mine, though, barely made any changes because I like the original stuff as well. Yeah. Well, well it's funny when you talk about like mean black magic, because I spent the last several years um, studying the Greek magical of fiery, um, amongst other sort of from that, that time period, uh, philosophical stuff. And um, the, the, the <laughs> there's a lot to to not like about the Greek magical papyri. And I'm constantly finding myself feeling like, well, how can I make this less horrible than it is? Because um, <laughs> there's a lot of sort of um, love spells that aren't, that aren't really about love at all. And they're, and they're little rapey. What's that? A little rapey. Well, they're not just rapey. I mean, like even like, I mean, there's rapey stuff in the, in the black pullet. There's rapey stuff in, um, uh, I, I think in, in, um, the grimoire virum, you know, where it's, it's sort of uh, your your intentions aren't that good with with why you're trying to get <laughs> someone to, to come to you, but um, it, it's also just it's cruel. Like first of all, you're like they've the, the, they're, they're, there's a lot of stuff that's sort of cruel to the gods, where you're actually trying to like threaten or even punish the gods in a similar way to the way that um, you know goetic spirits 
get end up getting punished in in you know the further along conjurations in in, in that book um but then also like a lot of the time it's it, you you'll say things like um let you know linda be tortured unable to sleep unable to think unable to to you know <laughs> have the fire stop until she comes to me yeah you know, it's like it's it's a lot of overkill to try and get laid um and it's it's interesting i mean but, but i mean the, the truth of the matter is a little odd for a time where uh prostitution was de rigueur like legal well uh, maybe it wasn't yeah, always i don't know I mean, well i mean it, it seems it, like a lot of work you know the Just thing go is pick up a guitar would, and go sing at the beach you would probably be using it to reach upward um, yes, rather than rather than to try and get a prostitute you'd be trying to yeah. get someone's wife or trying to get you know like a, a rich young girl husband. yeah so i mean you know it, I, I can see the reasoning behind why you would, why, you know, in, in certain situations, you might think it was a good idea. Um, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of that stuff has really interesting qualities to it, which keeps me studying it. Um, but I, but I feel like my, my personal um, moral boundaries require me to, to, look at it slightly differently than and and and, mm -hmm. I, and i and i always think it's interesting like there's there's a bunch of sort of groups um and they rarely talk about the more the more unsavory things <laughs> that go on in it but it's just funny for me to think that these people you know in in their houses are um reading about these like really really rough mean <laughs> ways of approaching um things and you know some some of it's it's not just sexual stuff too there's also sort of you know, controlling other people for other purposes. Yeah. Um, that also can get they can get into a, um, a meaner spirited thing. Uh, and but I don't think that most of them are really mean spirited people. And again, that may just be because I'm I am sort of hopelessly hopeful and naive towards people. But yeah, um, it seems it just seems it seems funny to me. Um, but I mean, like, there's so many things I really like about it. Um, I, I really like the the sort of like vowel formulas. I really like yeah, a lot of a lot of the the, the palindromic um, yeah. uh, uh, voces or barbarous names. I, I I really feel drawn to those. Um, and I yeah, it fits I, in know, really I, well with the whole golden dawn vibration thing. It does, and it and it, I mean it fits in well with the whole Golden Dawn thing in general, which is a, a syncretic and and Egyptian focused sort of thing. I mean, like, the Golden Dawn and the Greek magical papyri like fit rather nicely hand in glove, except for the fact that the Golden Dawn leads ultimately towards a, a highly Christian place, and there's um, you know there's a lot of um, uh, Hebrew magical words in it. Um, and there's a few Christian things here and there, but it's pretty non-Christian. I would say, and I, and I, and to, I gotta clarify, I'd say the Golden Dawn leads to a highly hermetic place because that's what defines the sort of fusion of the Christian-Egyptian Osiris-Jesus thing, which really, if you look at the the five-six initiation, it is a solid fusion. It's not one more than the other really at all. I would agree with you, that, and, and that's certainly, you know, probably more and more true now because of the fact that we are we are growing as a species um towards a, a more sort of you know um 
syncretic uh, spiritual perspective on things you know so i mean like uh, uh, today's golden dawn while i'm not involved in, in a second order of the golden dawn um it's gonna have some people who have different beliefs right i mean it's not it's yeah not, you can I mean, be whatever religion but, you want but the folks who were who were sort of promulgating it originally were coming from a christian background and they definitely you know, I mean, wanted to all push it in different directions they all had agendas which is why the original golden dawn gave rise to like eight other orders right yeah. and and the which, good thanks thank god it did <laughs> oh sure yeah i mean I, I you know there's a lot of people who um are are sort of you know, it, 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 particularly amongst the people I've interviewed, but in general, in occultism, it seems like the Golden Dawn, first of all, the Golden Dawn gets sort of lumped in with Aleister Crowley um, in a way that probably isn't fair. Yeah, we love um, that. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, the truth is the Golden Dawn has taken things, the modern Golden Dawn movement has taken things from Crowley and brought them into the Golden Dawn. So, uh, you know the the doctrine of the true will and the um you know the holy guardian angel no the holy really, guardian really angel comes that... from mathers and his translation of the manuscript but mathers was calling it the divine genius previous to that translation so uh right I mean, you know but it was mathers that... translating the abramelin that brought in the holy guardian angel not crowley no no i i, I i'm not i'm not <laughs> i'm not suggesting that crowley invented that term or even brought it into the golden dawn sphere but he did make that a very i mean even the the golden dawn stuff that's published it it focuses more on the divine genius but and yet in the yeah. orders that i've encountered the holy guardian angel is used both synonymously and sometimes actually more so than the divine genius um mm. and, yeah i guess in some of the more because i've heard of a lot of very thelema influenced orders alessandra who i was just talking to uh, frater vt he he was in a sort of a, a solo temple gd group um that got a lot of off uh cast offs from homsy when that disintegrated years ago and but they were following like it sounded to me just like golden dawn except Horus was uh the Hieris wasn't Horus, the Hieris was set, and the and the Hierophant wasn't Osiris, the Hierophant was Horus. And to me, that just turned my stomach, of course. But that is an, a, another good example of Crowley influencing Golden Dawn orders today for sure. Because right. they definitely consider themselves not Thelemic, but Golden Dawn, but they were importing a religious attribute from the religion of Thelema that right. you know is very it's very distinct. Yeah, and and ill ill fitting with the golden dawn as well. I mean, ill fitting with that ritual. In fact. Well, it worked I mean, for them, so and so that you know, more power to them. Sure. I mean, well, I mean, that's uh, again, this this gets back to what I was saying a lot earlier, which is that you know, a lot of times things that <laughs> that are are improve our our ability to do magic has less to do with the text than it has to do with ourselves, right? Exactly. I mean, it's it. Uh, so you know, you you can make that work. But I mean, the, the, the idea, I mean, Crowley's idea of Horace was that he was essentially removing the idea of death and rebirth from the whole thing at all. Instead, it was just, it was just the growth of a person to, um, you know, to, to manhood, which, I mean, that, that, that very idea, the more, the more I'm exposed to um, other ideas, <laughs> it seems like, I mean, I understand where he was coming from. He was, I mean, he was trying to fuse together a bunch of stuff. Like, you know, he was, yeah. he was influenced by Nietzsche. He was in, you know, there's so much going on in uh, culturally at that time for, for, 
for him as a young man coming out of a crazy Christian, you know, um, childhood and stuff like, I understand where he's coming from to a large extent. And I think that there were a lot of good ideas in there um, in, in many ways, but, you know, I don't, I don't know that. that yeah. That fascinating the, guy for sure. Fascinating magician and put together a lot of interesting stuff. His experiments with, with hashish and other, other drugs that he documented, even the amounts and proportions are very, very interesting. He really should get more credit for exploring entheogens and magic and in ritual. Yeah. Fundamentally, I think the problem with him is he never understood the golden dawn. He never went through it completely. He never really captured the fundamental paradigm or mentality and the basic core mysteries that explain what it is. To me, he really is easily easiest to understand when I think of the grade that he, he left at and what experiences he didn't have. And then I can really make sense of how he went from there and how he developed his, his religion and his idea of the true will usurping the other uh expressions of that same sort of higher self he makes sense to me that's why i like him is because he does make sense uh, as much as we you know none of us fully uh would have done what he did yeah i mean i, I the, the other thing that that strikes me and, and this is another thing that i think has been drawn into the golden dawn um from Crowley to a certain extent although not exactly was that you know he, what he, he his experience of the golden dawn was that basically the order was telling him not to do a bunch of magical things and he was wanting to. And so when, he, you know, he, and, and he was exposed to, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Bennett. The, no, well, yeah, Bennett, but uh, Vivekananda was, was um, a, a big name at that time spreading, yes, was. you know, Raja Yoga and these ideas of uh, different forms of, you know, uh, mystical discipline um, that seemed that seemed to have a corollary to him with, with magic, and so I mean he he was he was wanting to and yeah and you're right Bennett Bennett sort of exposed him to a lot of second order sort of practical work um, and they and they played around with it. Um, so yeah, well, he, he was wanting got a lot out that? of that he got a lot out of the golden dawn magic for sure i mean i don't think there's any denying he found his true will and he was called to be a prophet and saint for a new religion um and look what his influence has been just culturally it's phenomenal right it's it's you know on par if not even superior in in pop culture to wb Yeats, who definitely had a better impact health wise health wise on the world and global development but but Crowley was the was the rock star, right? I mean, Crowley was you know the Rolling Stones to um, to. Uh, <laughs> Are we calling it the Beatles? <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday, motherfucker! <laughs> In the future, we equate you with the Beatles. Well, why not? I mean, hey, as long I'm thinking more within you without me, be Beatles, than like the tax man. Okay, sure. Or or uh, love, love me do. Then love, love me too. <laughs> Come give me a Dinah hand when they sang in German. Oh my God. So, so peinlich. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's Yates' so, birthday on I mean, Sunday. I'm doing a little Zoom party. You should stop by and give a toast. On Sunday? Yeah, I might yeah. be able to do that. Wait, yeah, wait, you uh, can just stop in, read a poem, give a toast, hang out if you want. 
what uh, what time? Two to five Pacific time. Okay, so yeah, I mean that's that's much later than mine. Yeah, I'm not sure because I you know like school school ends this Friday, so I'm not sure what I'm going to be dragged into uh, in terms of entertaining children with no boundary of saying you got to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, it's hard now that uh, now that you're raising a singer songwriter. Yeah, I mean, right. I can imagine she's, she's like, "Dad, I just got inspired. Fuck off." Uh, she's she's really interesting. She's I mean, she reminds me of myself a lot, um, but yeah. she's uh, she's 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 a uh, much much more gifted than than I ever was in, in a lot of things that she's that she's trying to do right now. Um, well, but, she's got a yeah. cool dad. She's very lucky. Yeah, if we, could, we I think a lot of us, yeah, it would have been cool to have you as a dad, man. <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure when she writes her memoir you might you might feel it <laughs> like, yeah but it won't yeah, be boring all things all <laughs> things being all, all things being equal yes i mean she, certainly like you know she's a she's she's given a, a a free range to do what she wants and to the limits of my abilities i you know materially support her and her in her dreams and ambitions because obviously um you know that's that's what that's what we're here for right is to you'd think yeah so you know it's lucky to have that like that's an awesome quality i mean fucking we definitely did not all have that in our dad's man so it's like no i mean i, I didn't i didn't i mean you know i didn't have it from either of my parents but your parents didn't dad. give you your first nemesis and red socks <laughs> <laughs> truth to be told um my mom my mom is a, a is a, an artist herself she's a musician and um so she so she was very in support of me being interested in the arts which i always have been you know I, i'm i i draw and i paint and i play some music and uh i i've written you know plays and uh, i made a movie uh and, and you know so so i mean I, i've definitely had a lot of art stuff but for sure my interest in um alternative spirituality and magic has been um a mystery to them to to my whole family <laughs> and so um which is funny because like my cradle when i was growing when i when i was born my father um was a a carpenter and so he made this like really mystical cradle for me it's got um in a in a in an act of uh, youthful anger unfortunately i pulled it to pieces but i still have some pieces of it but he basically made these like stained glass things um so on the top there's there's a sun on the back, there's this like this glyph that his uh, his lover that he ended up leaving my mom for designed, but it's like a it's a sunrise and it's got a lion in it because I was a Leo. And then on the two sides, it's got um, a Capricorn and a and a Virgo because those are that's my parents' sign. So it was like this like entirely magical cradle that I, <laughs> that, I that I spent my first you know several months in. But they weren't they weren't other than other than you know that was probably a product of the you know hippie times that they were in more than anything else yeah, but other than that i like, forgot that your dad was a carpenter yeah yeah i had that stuff too my dad was a carpenter and like made my mom a bed that was like suspended on chains at each corner two feet off the floor that like rocked and stuff and built us all kinds of cool stuff that's it is pretty cool that sounds like an awesome cradle yeah and now a word from our sponsors at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean... But then you know he left on us too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah so creative. They, they're too creative to stick around and and actually like you know be part of your life. No. Right. Yeah, he's my mine's still like that. <laughs> my dad. My dad has. Uh, he he married a woman who is. Uh, uh, she's well. She I think she's of fifteen or sixteen years older than me, and um, so he had he has a, a daughter who just. I think she just turned 18 this year. Um, so, and I'm, you know, I'm almost 50. So, you know, he, uh, and, and he, he was with her her whole life and uh, like super into everything that she's done and, you know, really like supported her in her various endeavors and so forth. And, and it's really, and, and he likes, he like, you know, he likes to interact with me about it all. And I'm like, um, I'm really glad for her. <laughs> This is probably like a little bit of a of a of a funny area for us to be in, since you really weren't a part of my life until I was an adult. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, so so he's he's you know redeemed himself in in his world, and so uh, he's okay. Father's man. <laughs> God damn. Now he's because he was a woodworker. Now he makes ukuleles. He lives in Hawaii and makes ukuleles. Oh, wow. At least that's the that's the legend. I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure he's made a few, but I don't know whether he's like super productive with ukulele making. <laughs> it's just something that he did a few times and says it as a thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, he's he's a he's an extremely gifted woodworker. Um, yeah. And actually, yeah, my dad's like crazy. Isn't that interesting? That's so interesting. Like. My dad's level of creativity, like he makes stuff that other master woodworkers like we don't understand his level of creativity. They, they've taken me aside and said that to me like my whole life. And it's like, I don't understand. I'm not woodworking. <laughs> yeah, right. I can do more than, I can do a hell of a lot more than most people. I can work on houses and shit like that. I did lapping for years with him, you know, standing on scaffolding to the black paper with the mesh wire over top so that it can be stuck to that for years. Um, then I can carve and do a bunch of cool stuff. So I'm grateful for those skills. Like I definitely understand how that how it works, and that's pretty cool. But you know, I just couldn't do what my dad did. You know, plus he didn't really encourage me to do it anyway. Well, he never encouraged me to do much. So, well, it's complicated. It's complicated. I talked a bit about it on my buddy Sean's podcast, the LVX Files, which is awesome because he just likes X Files, but LVX Files. You should do his <laughs> podcast because he's awesome and insane. He makes you tell like your whole spiritual biography like he, he he like if if he'll be like okay where where were we were we at high school or were we still in grade school and you have to go back and do it and i think that would be fascinating because i'd love to hear sequentially more about your life that would be fascinating uh, I, it would be my pleasure 
Yeah, you see. I feel like yeah. I feel like I've told my story a, a boringly large number of times, but I guess you know there's always more. There's you can get more and more granular. Well, he's a fabulous sort of guy. He's a you know a big Obad guy, but also very intense. And he's the guy. He's the guy I interviewed who who told me when I said I didn't know I hadn't tried the the sixty day adaptive challenge. He's the one who said, "Oh, you have to." He said also he's the one who said that. Um, if there is a way to self-initiate to depth, adepthood, then his his sixty-day thing is the is the tool, at which I was. Well, like, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I from the beginning, I have I have tried to make it clear that, that really what I what I'm what what I was attempting to encompass in that was not having the person become an adept. I don't I don't I don't think that's a fair thing to um, promise or yeah, to right? uh, <laughs> totally to. <laughs> That's why what, it's, what, it's what, so shocking. I was like, "Whoa!" The the that that course is a fantastic course, and I, it's it's one. I mean, like I've I've made a number of things that I'm super proud of at this point, but that's definitely that's definitely one of them. And uh, what what that course was really designed to do was to sort of make it so that um you the the knowledge of a golden dawn adept that or the of a golden dawn you know the the outer order person that you're supposed to have is both largely in your consciousness um that you can utilize at any time because you basically build a um a, a sort of a, a magical memory palace it's not it's not quite like other memory palaces because it's it is it's not based on a on a real place it's based on an imagined place and there are some memory systems that utilize that but we keep i, I keep it simple enough that it's 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 pretty easy to manage um, and so basically, you know, sort of like all all the correspondences of um, the the tree of life, the um, uh, astrology, planetary relationships in astrology, the um, geomancy, the tarot, it, you, you sort of build out a, 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 an inner world that's filled with all of those things um, so that you can you can know them, but also so that you can connect with them. Um, from that space as well so um in in that sense you could you could say that you're adjacent to adepthood <laughs> in that you're in that you're that because i because i mean i mean in, in everything that i try and do i i try and encourage people to um really put themselves into it you know like i think i think one of the problems with the imagination and visualization um in modern occultism is that people don't really do it very well and so they don't they don't see the benefit of it um in, in order to you know in order to to like extract all of the wonder of a visualization practice you really have to immerse yourself in it with all of your senses so that you, so that you are experiencing it at a level that it impacts you <laughs> you know if you're just sort of yeah. um w wandering around in daydream land that's not really doing it at all well, and that's what we're talking about is the power of groups and working with other people helping push you forward by creating focused environments right sure yeah. sure i mean and, and also learning from others but yeah. again that, that you're you're only learning as well as as the person who's ahead of you um which is actually uh, other than the fact that maybe he didn't understand totally i think i think one of the the, the the real problems with the AA system, and I, again, I don't really want to cast aspersions on people because I, cause, you know, I, there are lots of people who I like who are who are involved in that. Yeah. Um, but one of the big problems is that 
you're basically in that in that system you have one person who you're who you're dealing with you aren't dealing with nor you're dealing with one person and if that person's not that great yeah. your whole experience is ruined and that's mostly what I've, I've met is i've encountered people who you know say that they are doing something that that the, the evolution beyond the dv and but they don't know even hebrew letters so it's like how can you even do this stuff you know it's very easy for a single teacher for things to slip through the cracks knowledge-wise or, or priority-wise and when you're in, yeah, in, a, in a magical working group or a temple environment you know you have a lot of different people who will help catch those those uh gaps in your your knowledge base or practice base and especially having different teachers who are good at different things who like really, right. really take you into astral stuff in a whole new way um like i'm really excited for uh, drew cooper very greatly honored for that or uh amon ra who is you know initiated through the grades up to seven four like full ceremony not many people do that anymore right um through Strader Yeshi's temple and and uh you know can give us a small hey I, I don't i don't know if it's because uh, something's changed in your environment but i can't hear you as well huh? am i clear again maybe um before we do it's getting late we probably have to wrap up but hey before yeah, we yeah, it's good. So much, um so i am gonna finally um there's been delays and and reasons for those delays in, in both of your and my life um but finally i'm gonna get through with my people uh who are doing it with me the grimoire 30-day grimoire course you you have and so this is a chance for anyone else who wants to do that with us we'll do a zoom get together and chat like just studying keeping up talking about what we've been through today in your in your lessons at the end of each week but yeah i mean i i, I actually don't have a i don't have a I don't have a Facebook group set up for that, but but maybe I should create one and uh, and we can you know yeah. talk a, a bit yeah, and I can I can bring I can I mean there there's there's sort I'm really having trouble hearing you for some reason but there's sort of a um a, a rolling um <laughs> you know there's 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 people at various phases in it and there's people who have sort of stopped uh, moving forward in it but so I mean that would that I might help them to to uh, to get there. I mean, you're better now. Oh yeah, you're perfect now. Okay, yeah, I just unplugged the headset for some reason. It was conking out, I guess. So so yeah, I mean that 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 course is um, it, it it basically it it takes you through a um, sort of a a ten step um, ritual formula. But I think at this point, I've even refined, I've, I've removed a couple of steps, not that they aren't necessary, but they're just sort of like, they're so connected with another step that, I, um, that I've shrunk the model down, but, but, that, but the 10 step model still totally uh, applies. Um, but the, the, um, it, 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 it sort of shows that that's what's going on in all, in, in, you know, all grimoires and, and ultimately all, all magical ritual. And then um, it, it, it begins to give you in, in each day of the course, which you don't have to do in 30 days, but um, it's it, it loads over 30 days. Um, the, yeah, that, you're given a sort of at the end of each week, we've all done the same classes and, and that sort of thing. Right. And so and so and it, but it gives you a bunch of meditations um, or, or exercises to do in sort of um, connecting with various magical 
powers, uh, energies, uh, so forth, um, with some specific processes involved. And I, and I have the feeling you won't have any problem doing those exercises at all. And probably most of the people who you know won't, won't either. But it really sort of, um, it, 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 it keys you into sort of a quick way of getting into a visionary state that um, I think, I mean, it, it seems to be missing from a lot of um, people who are approaching grimoire magic. But so, I mean, like, I think the, the, the Golden Dawn Adept is probably somewhat in a better position than some others, just because of the fact that they've spent so much time developing their inner space um, so that, it, so that it's, it's a more natural thing. Um, the, the difference between when I'm visualizing something, you know, when I'm, when I'm intentionally creating something mm -hmm. and when I'm in a, in a visionary state though, is that um, the visionary state is more just a receptive state. I mean, you, you can put something out in order to kind of create that vibrational state, like the DMT people who play the particular <laughs> tone to get back to the same place. Yeah, that's um, sort of similar like us uh, intoning or chanting or vibrating a name of the spirit we're trying to contact. I mean that's exactly the same thing, and, right? and the tone is yeah. the same. Thing. It's it's all it's all one thing, which is that essentially we're trying to create a connection with, um, you know, something that is that is represented in whatever it is, but that is ultimately beyond whatever our symbol that we're using for it is. Um, I really like how Scott Stenwick describes it. How's that? Oh, well, just, you know, he focuses on the tuning in with the frequency and also the sort of the, the, the spirit and the being, especially as we put these different letter and number combinations together to sort of, I don't mean manufacture, but evoke in a, in a manufacturing sort of way. It's almost like we're drawing these, these strands from the fabric of reality. We're picking which strands and which letters that form that entity. And that entity is part of the dispersed oneness, the universal Aleph that is always Aleph, right? Um, but when we evoke it or, or, or bring it towards us in any way, we're attuning ourselves to it, but also uh, attracting it by sympathy, you could say, if not by divine, divine command, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I just like his sort of take on things. He has a very, he has a background in uh, neurocognitive stuff and, and all of that sort of fancy, fancy stuff that, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely um, an interesting thinker and an interesting practitioner on, on, on these subjects in general. Um, I well, don't know if in Masterclass, he was my least favorite and I wrote some harsh notes about him in my diary at the time. <laughs> but then once I started talking to him and, and when I read his books, I was just like, oh, this dude's fucking awesome. Well, he, he unfortunately, there were two things that were unfortunate about his presentation. One, his um, lighting setup that he did for himself was awful almost every single day. You know, he, he just, he, he, he looked, he looked weird. And then his vocal tonality is a little bit odd. So putting those two things together, it's kind of easy to dismiss him, but you're right. I mean, it's it, it, what, what he said and what he says in his writing is, is, is very interesting and valuable. And uh, I've, I've had more than one person say, uh, you know, that was the problem with that. You know, I, I, Aaron was, you know, gave us a lot of information and you gave us a lot of encouragement, but, but Mike Scott was weird. And, and, and I'm like, just listen to him. Stop paying attention to, you know, his, his uh, environment and, and listen to what, what he's actually communicating. 
Um, I loved the environment and I, I wasn't thrown off by his presentation at all, but some of the way, some of the way he communicates some of the information rubbed me the wrong way. But as I got to, you know, and then I read, you know, I, I questioned him. I've talked to him a lot since then. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes I wake up and he's the first person I send a message to. I'm like, hey, what about this? And he gives me really wonderful answers and we get into it. And it's, yeah. So he's a he's a very dynamic thinker, though. So I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's a great right. course. People should take it. It's like a great deal for a one week, seven day, three different perspectives sort of model. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't even know what it's what the cost of it is anymore. But I don't think it's all that expensive for that. Um, and it doesn't, it, you know, it, it, what's how much is it? I think it's a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's like it's like it's something like twenty five hours of, of uh, recording. So oh, I mean, awesome. and the Goetia one with Ash and Chassan and uh, yeah, I think that one's almost, that one's almost forty hours. I yeah, think. and and even Harper Feist does a whole chunk in that on on communicating oh right yeah, acting, yeah. She, she, yeah which is great it was She's, really nice to get an introduction to her and i've become very interested in her thoughts and work since then yeah very cool lady so i have a question for you before i let you i know it's, it's late and we both need to go to bed or i need to go to bed and you need to uh, do whatever I, you do until, bed. until it becomes, <laughs> I like uh, bed. it's late for me it's 10 o'clock it's one yeah it's one o'clock in the morning yeah, yeah. um but i but uh uh, I, I've grown used to staying up late because I have to I have to have some time when I don't have the children around to get things done. Very nice. Um, so, so, so you are the thing that I've gotten done tonight. But <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm curious about um, Nineveh Shadrach. You you've brought brought him up a number of times, and um, yeah, first of all, I didn't realize it. what's that. What a guy. I I. I um, I, I only became familiar with him with uh, the book uh, Magic That Works, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, which, like, I didn't realize that there, that there was a Golden Dawn adapted previous to that. Um, yeah. So, Dude, so, he, he was like Zink's adopted son. How did he shift to um, Arabic magic? So, so well, he's um, Arabic. Yes, yeah, but he terrible. he was a golden he was a golden dawn adept. So like what what you know? He, he um, loves, it Sorry, you finish. You finish. Sorry, sorry. Continue. Yeah, my, my, yeah, my question is like, at what point did did golden dawn cease being interesting, and that then that became sort of the the thing? And and were you involved with that transformation? Were you like, hey, are you you're not going to come to the golden? You're not going to come to temple tonight? No, no, I'm talking to the gin. Um. So was, yeah, was that. Um, when he left, I was on uh, study abroad in the Walder School in Vienna in 97 when he left, when they changed from Temple, uh, when, when he finally, when, when he finally, he did, he, you know, he had to train, he couldn't really in good conscience leave, I think, without having trained two adepts to take his place, thus turning the sanctuary into a full operating temple. So he mm -hmm. did that. And he, because he's a, he's a remarkable magician, really, really, really. Um, and of course, Seth, he was very honored, Frater Ka, um, and he, you know, he was the first person I met, and I, I, you know, orientated me, and then I had to come back, and my mom was orientated, uh, went through the, saw, you know, had to meet him and sign a waiver, because I was 15, and he pushed hard for me, very hard over, and it took several months from summer to November for me to finally get 
initiated and there was definitely i i learned years later about quite the hullabaloo down in la about debates like it was debated i was talked about um and they did work to decide sure. what i should be joined right but he you know gave me the motto rc rumpens katane the broken of chains and and he was my initial teacher because i wasn't allowed into group classes because i was 16 right um and I was 15. It was, it was better to wait till I was 16. At least that in Canada is the age of consent. So if anything kinky or creepy happened to me, then at least it wouldn't be a felony, right? Um, but they, so they kept me with some people. Other great magicians actually came from that temple, like uh, Athena of Anakian.org. She was part of it in those early days. And she and uh, Nineveh Shadrach did a lot of ritual workings together with Babylonian gods like Ishtar and stuff. And eventually my understanding is because uh, again, I was so new, I didn't, you know, I didn't get as much of the training. I, I got the training more from the two main adepts he trained, uh, Bjorn and Marcel. And uh, they, they were then my main teachers and for most of my time, but they were very well trained by him. And he left due to a conflict with, of course, you know, who, um, he who must not be named, uh -huh. uh, around the Arabic stuff is my understanding. Um, that he wanted to get more and more in, into studying that and practicing with Ishtar and Arabic jinns. Cause you know, again, he's translated, the, he can translate the grimoires from Arabic and what a right. fabulous thing to be able to do. I mean, if you and me spoke and read fluent Arabic, <laughs> right. We'd be doing some stuff with it. Right. Um, for sure. Uh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. If he just woke up tomorrow knowing area, he's like, yeah, it's a fascinating area of magic that's completely closed off if you don't speak it <laughs> and can't read the things. And he's done a lot to open that stuff up. Um, and, uh, and then he was off my radar for almost for good. Um, though, though years later, I know Martin was doing some like sort of like sneaking missions out to his house to listen outside his window for for you must not be named and and that but that no, never had anything you know none of us no one knew about that really i think i who knows what those kids got, got up to i mean again it's the upside of a large group is like you know if you're not involved in any sketchy shit then it never doesn't really affect you that much you're too busy with yeah. grade work and passing tests and you know doing all the good stuff if you want to go be part of like gossip and shenanigans you're always going to find people to get up to that stuff with you but yeah so that um he he, he came from that world and and uh yeah i don't know too much about what he's done alessandra who i just interviewed before you the other day uh frater vt he actually did some of his uh, courses online and i know a lot of people had uh, you know he and i have never crossed paths like you know last time we talked last time we've ever communicated i was 15 uh, so, uh, yeah, short of being forced to, by him to do three hour long middle pillars while he played flat <laughs> downstairs was almost the extent of my experience with him. But his he was ever alive in my mind because he trained the adepts who ran Tahuti and helped sure. build it up that then trained me in so that we were all from that school. And that's why I think we had such a kick ass temple, because it was founded by a kick ass dude who did kick-ass ritual work and and really took the work seriously um and that's what you need in a good group what what i guess i i you know my exposure to it was you know someone someone as is with most um magic stuff that i that i discover someone who i know um says hey have you heard about this <laughs> i go and check it out 
and and so I, I I read the Magic That Works book, and um, it, it it struck me that 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 magic that works was casting aspersions upon Wicca, Golden Dawn, you know, Grim, uh, Goetic, or you know, like any anything other than that. You know, it, it seemed like that was where it was coming from, and I think there's just to, to a certain extent there's a little bit of that sort of polemic in the book, but now that I know that he was actually a high up Golden Dawn person, it's, it seems even stranger, um, especially now that you're saying that he, that he did wonderful magical work that transformed well, both you and the lives of other people. And so, but so, so why is it that, I mean, the title Magic That Works seems kind of like a challenge, you know, like <laughs> this yeah. is magic that works and other magic is magic that doesn't work. Um, so how do you, I mean, do, do you, is there is there a sense within the the people who are underneath him that he you know sort of switched teams or is is that not even the way that you guys are thinking yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't know um because yeah i i have you never, i never read his books or um yeah he had a he had a lot of respect for the craft when i joined because that's where i was coming from i was like you know i'm just getting into i've been try tried to work used on craig's book to self-initiate it i've failed spectacularly like got full, mm -hmm. like spiritually attacked on a midsummer by something that sort of paralyzed me and i was like on the ground it was shocking because i don't really go in for that sort of thing you know like oh i can see a spirit it's coming toward and, you know that's just not you know sure stuff like that happens but it's not you know i'm not looking for it <laughs> i tend right. to, i tend to ignore that stuff until it, unless it's so strong if i can't not ignore it if it forces my attention, unless I'm, of course, working, unless it's in my field of intention of the thing I'm trying to focus on. But if you're trying to like use Don Craig's book to self-initiate as an adeptus minor after working through the first part of the book for six months, and while you're taking the vow, all of a sudden, like, you know, yeah, you know, you become physically overwhelmed and your friends see something, you know, pointing uh... arms at you and you can't move and you're like in shock that's weird that's fucking weird it's one of the only one of the very few weird experiences sort of phenomenal experiences i've had you could say phenomenal is probably sure. the right word for that um, um the last thing was i, I mean at, at chris bennett's uh recently during quarantine i don't know i don't know if if you if you are um as uh, i mean i would think you would be um privy to young magicians who are just coming into um, occultism in general, or or sort of like a, a magical training thing, but but I actually found that there were there were probably about um, twenty percent of people, um, at least early on, who were coming into my my new hermetic stuff, which isn't really a, a, a magical school at all, but people treated it like it was. Yeah. But about twenty percent of them would have sort of like a weird um, demonic poltergeist experience, and they would and they would say to me. Jason, I'm not sure if I should continue doing this ritual that as you've written it because I'm having all these crazy demonic experiences. And I would say, well, you know, <laughs> you're not the only person who's feel <laughs> who's yeah. had that experience. Welcome but, to the party, pal. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the premise of what we're doing is is, you know, so, you know, not everybody has it. You should probably be grateful because you yeah. <laughs> you had a you had an experience that a lot of people would like, um, but and you know th that would about fifty percent of those people would uh, freak out and disappear after that. Um, but but so I mean I don't think that's that strange. What is very strange though is while you were saying it, um, you obviously evoked something because I had a, a super loud tinnitus on my left ear um, 
right as you were talking about it and then it passed away as soon as you stopped talking about it so it's um, crazy I'll, I'll send you the pictures of that diary entry sometime from 1994 95 or whatever it was because you probably find it interesting I would love to see it. It's weird, um, my, you know, especially you're so young. It's so weird to interesting to look back at our old diaries. That's why people really should keep them. You know, they're fascinating at any point. Yeah, yeah. I've got a, I've got a whole box of them somewhere. Um, I actually, uh, I had a, I had an, an encounter with a spirit um, that scared me quite a lot, especially because there was this sort of like rumor of a magical war that was going on between um you know the the group i was pretty new in and the um this one guy who i uh, i don't think that he was really capable of doing that sort of a thing in retrospect but um you know it was nerve-wracking and then i and then i had a, a pretty uh, weird spiritual encounter which which interesting i i tried to combat with a lesser vanishing ritual of the pentagram and, and that that seemed to amuse it more than um accomplish yeah well you know strictly gd teaching usually says like you know the L, L, lrp and lrhs are more not going to do much to things outside of you that's where you get into more supremes right but that's just the theology <laughs> well and when a random and when a random being is sort of interacting with you as you're walking in the woods um you don't really know what pentagram <laughs> or hexagram to dispel it with because it's not it doesn't it's just sort of a thing, you know? So, um, but anyway, um, the, the thing about Nineveh Shadrach, um, it's, it's just, it's, it's odd to me because, you know, like I, I could totally picture having a, a, a revelation and, and just completely switching um, my belief system when I was, you know 18 or something like that but it seems odd to be like the head of a temple and then then completely just sort of transform into something else um but i mean it's good obviously you know he's following what what his real vision for his life is you know it's great yeah yeah um he did an but, uh, podcast with uh edward uh, on esoteric nerd podcast years ago that is worth listening to um yeah he's there he's there on the esoteric nerd podcast under Either he's listed as Nineveh Shadrach or VH Fatter Ka. Um, yeah. But I, wonder, I, wonder if he, I wonder if he'd let me interview him for Inside the Magic Circle. One of the, yeah, I really think it would be interesting. I, I'd be curious to know what he's up to. I mean, he's very active, uh, you know, training and teaching people and doing whatever he's doing. So I hear, I don't know. It's like, again, <clears throat> you know, we're all doing our own thing. Sure. I mean, yeah. I don't have much of a connection with... Uh, Arabic or Jin stuff as fascinating as it is. Um, yeah. But I'm glad yeah. he's doing it. Just like I'm glad you're doing all this PGM stuff, making all these tools that people can get, and all these people like Jack Rail are putting out courses. Because when I am ready to explore the PGM, I look forward to having a lot of groundwork already laid that I can enjoy, just like is the case with Enochian magic over the last sort of 10, 12 years a lot of really great stuff's come out and it's just making the whole experience a lot more enjoyable the, sure. dark, the purest absolutely uh, stop material as opposed to you know you know how it was in the 90s man sure it was a uh, gerald schuler yeah they they were like uh you know disappointing betty gerald and betty yeah, it, was, it was it was disappointing stuff man 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, and the thing about the PGM that's interesting, uh, as opposed to almost anything else, it, other than maybe like the Nag Hammadi library or something like that, yeah. um, is that, is that it's, it's not a, a singular teaching at all. It's not, there's, yeah. there's no, there's no sense of like, oh, here's the through line in this. It's all just, it, you know, it's someone who was either doing ethnographic research or they were um, a practitioner who just liked to like put their finger in a bunch of pies, but um, you know, it's, it's all written by different people and, and uh, over who knows how, how long of a time period. And it, it, it doesn't have a single, you know, there's, there, there's no such thing as PGM magic, strictly speaking, because yeah, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's not a, a, not one thing. It's a bunch of people, it's a bunch of stuff that's all been thrown together. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of themes in it once you sort of, you know, look at it for a while. But um, the other thing that's interesting about it is that, you know, there's this huge collection of um, magical gems and there are probably maybe six magical gems discussed in um, the Greek magical papyri. And then there's another 36 magical gems discussed in a book called um, Hermes to Asclepius, um, mm-hmm. of which there are a few, there, there's one example of one of the gems from um, the PGM actually seeming to have been made by somebody and and then there's and there's a few there's a, there's a number of things that are probably um, either attempts at it or um, you know variations on the theme and and, and the the Hermes to Asclepius same thing there's a few things that seem like they're they're probably related to it but for the most part those literary things don't seem to really match up with what people were were doing so what what that what that suggests is that the collection that, that we have is a tiny fraction of what was actually out there being being worked with. Um, there there are a ton of um, gems that are quite similar to each other. So there's clearly like a a pattern to them. Like there's a you know one one particular version of like a, a snake with a lion head with uh, the word pepte, which is uh, stomach um, in in Greek. And so I mean that was clearly a, a talisman to you know, help to be a, a pep, like a, a magical Pepto-Bismol um, from the past. And there's tons of them They're you know, <laughs> all, all very similar to one another, but that's not mentioned in the PGM um, anywhere, anything like that. Um, and as far as I know, I don't think it's mentioned in any of the, 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 the magical medical um, stuff that we have either. So, hmm. you know, there's a, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we just don't, we don't have, you know, we, we get, we have this thin, little band of what wasn't destroyed by the crazies um, i think we're gonna get a lot more manuscript dumps in our lifetime it's possible um, I mean, i've it's got my sight set on a kabbalistic manuscript that's never been translated and i i really want to translate it i found a i think i found another translator to do it with me and it's really exciting you know because no one's done it and there's the majority of stuff still is not available um, yeah, cer- certainly Kabbalah. There's a huge amount of stuff that, and 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 frankly, um, Germanic, French, and Italian magic. There's got to be a, sh- a ton of it that we've never seen. Um, that you know, just because the, as English, the primary uh, magical and and religious texts of Zoro- Zoroastrianism have never been translated. Yeah, and and that's I mean, but that's that's a that's a huge. Um, 
you know, <laughs> some of those things they're so they're so specialized. I mean, it's like the um, I'm talking about the main texts, like they're fundamental texts we don't can't read. Right, but I mean, if you have have you ever tried to read a translation of like the Rig Veda, um, the the ancient you know Indian oh yeah uh, stuff? I mean, it's 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 not exactly inviting reading, and and, and frankly, I doubt. You know, I'm sure there are scholars who think they know what it's all about, but I doubt that, you know, in the same way that we don't really understand some of the stuff that's going on in the Greek magical papyri or even um, ancient philosophy, really, we don't understand. Um, I, I don't I don't know that we could really even, you know, like, because, okay, if you take, we got to stop this conversation. Yeah, I know. Just, uh, <laughs> I, could, I could talk till, till, till the it's end of time. Hey, did you hear, did you hear Stephen Skinner on Glitch Bottle refer, say that, if you're looking for Egyptian magic in the Greek magical papyrus, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so awesome because <laughs> we all know what he's saying. It's like, yes, it is a collection of different things. Um, but I, the way he said it was so awesome. <laughs> <With the laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I, he, he's right because it's really yeah. not Egyptian magic at all. It's more Greek magic, if anything. Um, and really just a sort of a bullion base of whatever um, was going on then, you know, I mean, uh, it's 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 actually amazing if you if you think about it and you consider that EIO is you know a, a really a transliteration of a of a Hebrew term. How much um, Jewish magic is in the Greek magical papyri? I mean, Sabaoth and EIO are two of the most frequently occurring um, vocates in, in the in the whole thing. So you probably uh, learned that during the Jewish initiates probably learned that when they were in from their time their you know when they were initiates in assyria they probably adapted it from the assyrian tradition i mean sh sure i mean it, it, pl placing the origin of these things would be absolutely impossible but yeah i mean the 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 thing i was trying to say though is that like it's it's it it's it's an eclectic thing at a level that's really kind of hard to even process because there's so much different stuff in there i mean i, I it, it gives the impression that basically magicians of the past were not all that different from magicians of today in that they were like looking for the ingredient the special thing that was going to really make it zing and so they they kind of just threw every possible <laughs> magical formula or name that, that they could come up with into a lot of spells yeah um and and so that's that's the takeaway from this whole conversation. Yes. Just be as eclectic and random as possible. <laughs> yes. That is not our advice. That's what Ashton Jasan thinks is best. Be eclectic. <laughs> doesn't matter what metal you use, just use paper, use tinfoil, doesn't matter. Uh, I think I think Aaron Leach is in that same school. Aaron and <laughs> and and of and, and um Adley Nichols. You know, yeah. you know I'm I'm honorable gonna... mention. I've just cast three, I've just cast uh, three nine inch pure beeswax tablets ready for engraving. I have nice. like it's an adventure. Did did you find a solution to the rippling on the one side? Or um, you, it is because you use a mixture uh, because you're not using beeswax. Maybe it's different. Um, I, I there there's a significant portion of beeswax in my mix. Um, I I actually suspect personally. And I don't really know because I was I was never more than you know four feet away from them or or, or so. But the the 
these materials in the British Museum do not seem like beeswax to me. I suspect that they're actually made of sealing wax of some kind or another. Um, <laughs> but oh yeah, I, I just mean, had a ton of beeswax lying around from Walder School. That, that's why. No, no, but I mean, no. Any any Anokian person worth their their um, their, their their muster uh, knows that beeswax is the only thing that you're supposed to use. But I, but I do suspect that the ones that are in the British Museum are made out of something other than that. It's hard to say because it's hundreds of years old. So you know, it, it, it might change the way it looks, but it seems to have a quality that reminds me of, you know, like when you, when you see like a, a letter seal, yeah. um, that it somehow it seems that way to me. And I don't, um, I don't, that, that was my instant impression when I saw it. I was like, these aren't really, these aren't made out of the same thing that I've tried to make these things out of. Um, yeah. But that, 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 um, that, that experience of seeing them made me, made me start making them. Um, so I've been making, uh, Enochian seals for um, 24 or 25 years. I've probably made more Sagellum de MS than all the rest of the people <laughs> who've ever made them in the entire history of the world. Probably. Um, by a large factor. Because I used to sell them to Azure Green and I would sell them by the, but you know, like 20 at a time to him every month or two. So, I mean, I've just made. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, I'm definitely going to get, like, for the four small ones, I definitely got to get your, your whole set because I don't want to make four little ones. That's too much. It's a, it's actually, was it's very hard. Um, yeah, the, I, I, I can tell. I mean, and I, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not too bad, but, it, you know, there's, there's certain sort of, um, the, the lettering is so small. There's a, there's, there's a few places where, you know, that you kind of have to be a little bit charitable to, it's not as bad as those um, uh, pewter seals of the um, <laughs> the, the uh, key of Solomon that you can that you can find uh, on the internet, where where it's like it's it's just a little blob where the Hebrew letter would be. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yud, yud. You can you can definitively see every every letter on it if you if you go around. But I mean, some of them are you know it's like a it's it's pretty small. Um, I guess that's where I've gotten into into doing those uh, my my magical gem reproductions is doing like sort of minute work, um, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I, I feel it's, it, it's super late right here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely well, have more things I want to talk to you about, but we'll have to can do it again sometime. Let's not wait a year this time. Yeah, oh, it's been less than a year, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's fun to talk to you because people I don't get to I don't get to be interviewed that much so I always have to like let people have their say and and uh, not not interject too many of my own thoughts in it. <laughs> well, well, with of the you know we'll definitely do a follow up after uh, I've gone through we've gone through your uh, thirty day grimoire course people go to hermeticmysteryschool.com and click through to join the grimoire thirty day thing and you can do it with us if you want it'll be a lot of fun and uh, yeah we'll. Maybe Jason yeah. into one of our shindigs when we talk. And just, just final, final thing on that subject. Um, the all my courses, they're really not um, about um, learning something new. I mean, you can just read the grimoires and, and do it, but they're, but they're about um, taking a, a practical approach towards putting your consciousness into the space in which you're going to succeed in those things um, at a level that I think that would take you a lot longer to get to if you didn't take the course. And I think that's really where their value lies. 
um, is in doing the things that, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, like I ask a lot of questions about, about what people are, are, are getting out of it. And very often they'll just say, yeah, that was relaxing. Or I guess I, I guess I saw, you know, something planetary there. Um, and that's fine. You don't, you don't have to have had a, an amazing experience every single time. Cause that's the purpose of the course is to kind of like push you into that liminal space to, for want of a better word, um, to, to, to get into the place where you are connecting with those things um, and it, in a place where it doesn't matter, where it's easy, where it's not, um, there's no pressure upon you. So that when you, so that when you're like ready to start, you know, quote unquote, really doing it, you, you aren't coming into it with like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I'm ever doing a magical ritual and this feels weird. Um, so, so I kind of like, I, I, I baby step you into it. And, and so if you have some experience in magic, it may seem like I'm being too simple at first, but we, it does develop more as it goes along um, so that you are like a frog in the, in the water and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in a different place. So, um, and by that, I mean the boil, the slowly heating of the, the frog. I don't know if that metaphor came through in what I just said, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're um, trying to slowly boil us into uh, psychic and spiritual awakening. Right. Like a frog. <laughs> Like, like, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Jason Augustus Newcomb, thanks for coming back on Magic Without Fears from Medic Podcast. You can find Jason Augustus Newcomb.com and he has lots of goodies there. There'll be links below for uh, that and doing the Grimoire, his Grimoire course with me and my friends, and uh, also the Enochian course that we talked about. You can check that out. Yeah, let's uh, don't be a stranger as always. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon and give uh, yeah love to the family and your lovely wife. And uh, of course, also, you know, just share my love and condolences and everything and best wishes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, he, he's he's speeding around the bush, but my father-in-law died um, a couple months ago. So, um, yeah, we all but, took a few uh, more than a minute for that for you, bro. Yeah. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Have a wonderful night, Florida. <laughs> it's almost morning here. <laughs> oh, damn. You're hardcore, you wizard. All right. Peace out, bro. Bye-bye. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.com co.uk that's hermetic science enterprises.co.uk and as a lot of you know i've uh, talked with the publisher lenny on the podcast before including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the patreon and uh seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of scott's discovery of witchcraft which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. 
Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk that's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. HermeticScienceEnterprises.co.uk